Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother is bleeding. At least I have a husband, you know. Does anybody here believe that? Does anybody here believe that? We are from Arkansas, no. <laughs> Episode 80 brings us a little break from the baby name ballot. Oh, okay. As we've got breaking news of a new Duggar grandchild. Okay. We have Brielle. Brielle. Which okay. is Artist Jed's second child. Okay. So Not the OJ. Not the OJ. <laughs> the, uh, I'm, I'm, I wonder which one is born for, you know, I think for a minute I remembered which one was born first and now I don't. Seems like OJ would be because he seems a type to like, that's why he is the way he is. You know? So, um, Artist Jeds has Brielle. Okay. Brielle. It was posted like, I, I looked right now to see what, so it was 21 hours ago that his wow. wife posted it. I don't know when she was actually born. I didn't, whatever, but. So it's really breaking news. Breaking. By oh. the time you guys hear this, it'll be many days, but you know. Okay, so today's episode is called Josie Duggar Sisterhood, and it premiered April 6, 2010. And the episode starts out with a bang, or rather a whip, I guess, <laughs> because Hanny is wielding a fake snake, putting it up to the camera lens, and Jackson is being officer not on my watch yet again. <laughs> Because this is now the second time that we've seen Jackson lay down the law on silliness. <laughs> if you remember back a couple episodes ago, we heard him say, don't be acting silly, guys, during the <laughs> potato peeling, yeah. you know. Um, and this time he says to Hanny, remember what mama said? No acting silly, as he snatches the snake away from her. <laughs> and he's starting to tell on her, too. Mm. He says, Jill, Johan." And it gets as far as Johan. He can't even finish saying her name before Hanny picks up the snake he took from her and fucking whips him in the right face in the with face. it. Like, like whips it at him. Yep. So I feel like this scene is a has two square potential. Okay. Our girl Johanna and their real children. Yep, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, she whipped him hard in the face, too. It was very funny. She wasn't fucking around. And, um, like, you know, when Hanny, she can fucking throw down when she wants to. Oh, yeah. Remember that time she fucking wailed on him when she was, like, pounding the shit? You could, like, <laughs> it was that little kid thing where you could hear it reverberating through his body, like, with the mics. It was, yeah, she was throwing haymakers. So, Hanny can, don't fuck with Hanny is what I'm getting. And our dancing king is curled up face down, like on a mattress, um, while Hanny gets a talking to from Jill. I mean, 
I'm not saying that it didn't hurt, but I also feel like he was playing it up, knowing that she was gonna she was getting talk, a, you know, a talking to. Yeah, like it's just funny when you're a kid. This reminded me of like a couple of things. We used to torture my oldest sister with fake snakes. <laughs> like we used to leave them in her bed. Like it was mostly my sister right above me that tortured our oldest sister. I just enjoyed it. But so, you were in a conflict. <laughs> so that brought me back to that because I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when we used to fucking torture with the um, snakes? And then, you know, just the idea, you said him like playing it up. I remember when my sister right above me, she used to piss me off as a kid because she would purposely, when we'd be getting into it, she'd purposely be like, ma, or no, she wouldn't even say mom. She would just say, Whitney, stop it. Like as loud as she could from like the other room. So it's like, she was telling on me without being like, mom. Yeah. And then, and I'd be like, shut the fuck up. Like, you know, it used to piss me off. I'm like, this is between you and me. You know what I mean? I'm like, let's deal with this ourselves. But then my mom would come in and then, you know, like I'd get in trouble. But I remember one time my mom being like, can you hear it? That's Mildred on her scratching post that we have <laughs> in our room. Is Mildred's, she gonna be, Mildred's been making making is she her make this a thing, making her presence known. How's it going back there, Mildred? We have one that looks like a little cactus. Come here, come sit with Mama. Okay, come sit down. Any hoozle. She says, "Mama, you got to give the listeners the content they want." <laughs> so. You know, I just wanted to deal with it between ourselves, and then I would get in trouble, but I, I'll never forget one time my mom being like, I know what she does. I know what she's doing. And I was like, thank you. And so then my mom started being like, you need to stop doing that. Like, you know, so I was like, I'm glad that she picked up on that, where I'm like, this is bullshit. We can handle this shit ourselves. Oh, man. Okay. So, it was a really action-packed opener. It was short, but man, was it action-packed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then Lego Hair announces that they're going to take the family to Doe's Eat Place. And Baby Cannon is not that enthused. She seems, like, hyper worried. She goes, really? She says, like, really? And she has, like, a weird look on her face, but doesn't mm-hmm. seem joking. Like, she genuinely seems not into it. At least that's how it felt to me. Yeah. So either she doesn't like the food there, like, doesn't like the idea of taking the kids out. I don't know. She was, she was not into it. I was yeah. like, oh, oh my. So <laughs> It was like startling. It was weird. Yeah. It really, I was just like, damn, I've never seen her not just be like, oh, you yeah. know, like she was just like, really? And I was like, damn. It's <laughs> like, we don't usually hear those type of question mark reactions. Yeah, no kidding. And then rapid fire, we get another bingo square. Mm-hmm. We get Duggar time. <laughs> I also feel like this has potential for... Um, OG snarkers. Okay. Because I I feel like it's an example of the crew or the people that are making the show throwing shade their way in a in a kind of a friendly manner. Okay, you know I'll I mean? take it. OG snarkers. Yeah. And the reason we get these is because Soundman Jim is shown waiting outside the Cornish house and says, "We're waiting on various and sundry duggers to come out of the house and get in the car, but we're on dugger time, so." And I I could just be reading into it more, but does it seem like Jim might actually be legit annoyed to you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like, I mean, they've made comments before, but I'm like, I think Jim is actually like, yeah, like actually well, I mean, annoyed. At this point, how many episodes are we into it? 
Oh, I know. Like, he probably deals with this every day. All the fucking time. Like, for years, they're standing around waiting for them. Like, it would get so old so fucking fast. So, Mm. good on you, Jim, that it took this this long to, like, be noticeably irritated. Yep. So they arrive at Doe's, and so we actually get a Duggar's Dine Out Square. I know. We put that on there. We haven't seen it at all. Yeah. So this is a <laughs> this is exciting. It's been very few and very far between. So, so Doe's is a popular place for Arkansas government officials, which is how Lego started eating there back in the day when he was a state representative. Mm-hmm. It was also a favorite of former President Bill Clinton. And for anyone who is foreign or just may not know, he also served as Arkansas governor prior to mm-hmm. being president. Yeah. And Doe's got a decent amount of notoriety and recognition during his presidential campaign. So here's a little few extra tidbits of info because, you know, I'm a slut for details. So, okay. So Bill's favorites were the hot tamales, their porterhouse steak, and he loved their french fries. Okay. The owner of the restaurant said that Bill used to... So many fucking Bills. Dear God. <laughs> um, He used to hang out with the cooks in the kitchen and like t- chat and stuff. And he would eat French fries right out of the fryer basket. Which, when I get to the end of this, I think you should tell a story about fryer baskets and people. Okay. And then, during his presidential campaign, Doe's became like the spot for all of his staffers to hang out. Mm. Which started to bring more people in. So Bill himself wasn't necessarily there because he was on the campaign trail, trail, but everyone knew that his staff was there. So it just kind of like drew people in and it's also like, could they catch a glimpse of him eating there? But what really got them a lot of attention was the September 1992 Rolling Stone interview of Bill Clinton because they conducted the interview at Doe's. Oh, okay. And the opening paragraph of the article, Bill is like talking about the restaurant and its history. That's like the whole opener. And he was like, yeah, it's this place, blah, 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 you know, so. Yeah. So then it took off and they got busier and busier having been mentioned in such a huge publication of a presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. And owner George Eldridge said, quote, he put us on the map. (laughs) Then after Clinton was elected, I guess it was like all out insanity for like a while afterwards. They're like the night that. Like, you know, and then they're like even continuing for weeks and weeks afterward. It was like lines around the block, standing room only. Damn. He was having to get daily dumpster pickups and food and wine deliveries daily because he was like, I didn't think we were going to fucking make it. Wow. (laughs) So so that's just a little extra on dose because, you know, we love small local joints Mm -hmm. and I love hearing their stories and like seeing them make it, you know? So yeah, just kind of, I thought it'd be fun to kind of look up some extras on them. Mm Mm-hmm. Random thing that I thought of, because one of the things that's on there is tamales. Random side note. So there was a lot of migrant farm workers from Latin American countries that made their way to the south because there was a lot of farmland and there was a lot of work there. So obviously with them, from whatever country they were from, they brought kind of their own um, food and things, but you couldn't necessarily get the ingredients. So the Delta hot tamale actually came from migrant workers not being able to get masa, like corn masa, in the south. So they were using whatever they could find. And that's the genesis of the Delta Hot Tamale. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's a canned version. Which and... I have a can in our cover because I bought a long time ago. And I told him, like, we should try this because we've only ever had, like, Mexican. Yeah. From Mexi- so I'm like, yeah. we should try these canned tamales just to say we've tried them. 
Yeah, but it's just kind of a cool like genesis of where this dish came from, you know. And actually, more on the tamales because they were one of Bill Clinton's mm-hmm. favorites. Um, and just in, uh, in other articles, I was just trying to like re- skimming over about him and Doe's, like when he would be, when he was president, when he would be like nearby but mm-hmm. couldn't like come physically into Doe's. They would send like staffers. To pick up to food. go pick up like the tamales <laughs> and stuff, and like people were like were in articles saying they're like it was kind of funny knowing that and like we were specifically packing a to go order of tamales for him to eat on Air Force One before the next place. <laughs> so you're like it's yeah. kind of cool my food's going on this like, you know. Yeah, that is yeah. pretty funny. Rent one more random Bill Clinton related thing. When I was in uh, Tucson for college, the there was a Mexican restaurant down there called Mi Nidito, which means my little nest. Amazing food. But they had a plate that was called El Presidente. And it was because when Bill Clinton was coming through town, he ate there because it's like a historic restaurant. So there's a picture of him on the wall. And they didn't have this dish. But they made him a plate that had like a little bit of everything so he could try it. And that's been on their menu ever since. And it had like it had like one tamal and like... like 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 I said, little bits of like four things off their menu. So. Well, the funny thing is, Bill Clinton's known for several things. <laughs> one of it, we'll get to the others. <laughs> one of which is that the people were like he ate like shit until he had like heart, had to have like bypass surgery, right? Like people were like he loved like he nourished the junk, soul. He, he loved junk food, so he's known for that. He's known for his shorty short shorts. Remember that time? Yeah, <laughs> he wore those little shorty short shorts. And, you know, probably the biggest thing he's known for is... Playing a... the saxophone. <laughs> yes, yes. Yep, I know, I know. I mean, what else is he known it's, for? It's you know? not getting sucked off by, a like, an intern in the Oval Office. It's uh, mostly it's, saxophone. It's mostly the saxophone and mm-hmm. the shorty short shorts. Yep. So. He was on Arsenio Hall <laughs> playing saxophone, so you know, I don't know what else he's known for. So I started to think, I'm like, is that why she, Michelle didn't want to go there? Because Jim Bob mentions like twice in the episode, this is where President Clinton used to like to, yeah. he, he says it when he's telling her that's where they're going to go, and then he brings it up again when they're in the restaurant. And I'm like, number one, he's Democrat. We know how they feel about Democrats. Yeah. They got to fight against the machine, exactly. the Democratic machine, remember? That's what yep. he and Mike Huckabee did, fighting that Democratic machine. Yep. Mm-hmm. So... They're not a fan of Democrats, and I'm sure they're not a fan of his shorty short shorts. Or the saxophone. Yeah. They play string instruments. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. So those- <laughs> Mike ha- Huckabee was appalled. <laughs> I am- Mike Huckabee plays a guitar. Yeah, he's string a big, instrument. He's a, he's a big guitar guy, yeah. Yeah, so. string instrument, see? Um, so I'm, I'm thinking that's what Michelle's problem was, <laughs> the shorts and being a Democrat. Maybe it's the- uh, The saxophone. They're getting sucked off, but definitely the shorts. Okay. That was a weird aside. <laughs> um, okay. Would you like to, well, we may we went aside, but I didn't think we'd go that far aside, but I still think you should tell your deep fryer story. All right. So there's a little backstory to this, first of all. So when I was at the hotel that I worked at, we used to get musicians come in and I don't remember what the what the company is called, but it was a company that we paid and then they would send us musicians to perform when we wanted them. So it's like we had we always had like musicians for brunch on the weekends and then we usually had one like a like in the middle of the week at night. But we only gave them 
like what genre, what kind of feel we wanted, they would send us musicians that kind of fit that. So Easter brunch. Easter's supposed to be kind of a bright spring, uplifting holiday. And there's all these families that are there eating and they brought grandma for eggs, you know. And the the guy that was singing was so depressing. And I don't <laughs> I remember you coming home and telling me instantly. It was so bad, and every song was like a breakup song, and then the way he sang it made it sound even worse, and we were like, this is not, not it for Easter brunch. <laughs> so, I mean, the cooks, all of the servers were like, is this for real? Like, this is, who? like, everybody, it was, so I left that hotel. And I got to my new place. And the first holiday that I uh, worked in the new place was Father's Day. And Father's Day comes and we're setting up and we're doing our thing. And then the musicians show up and they're setting up. And I hear him start to like play. And I'm like, it's the same guy. It's him. <laughs> and I looked over there and I'm like, yep, it's him. He has a big sign with his initials on it. And I sent a video to my old sous chefs and a couple of my cooks and i was like he's following me <laughs> so what i realized is that he performs at the restaurant that i work at now like every saturday every pretty much every saturday and the thing is no one comes to listen for this man like nobody's going ho oh, hey let's go eat at this restaurant to go see this guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. nobody's entering the door that way. So it's really weird because it feels like when, even when he interacts with like the servers and stuff and like orders things, like there's a sense of entitlement. Do you know who I am? That's exactly what it is. There's a sense <laughs> of entitlement that I don't understand because it doesn't feel warranted. And all, and we have an open kitchen. So it's like when he's performing, you can hear it. All of the cooks are in a bad mood whenever he's there. All of the servers talk about how bad it is. They're like, this, this isn't fun. Like, this isn't what I want to do on a Saturday night. It's depressing. <laughs> to go out to eat and hear this whiny person sing. So we all have a lot of jokes about it. Like, when he finishes his song, it's awkward because there's not even like the weird polite applause it's just silence and he finishes and i think he's <laughs> thank <ex> you <laughs> silence yeah, i think he's expecting this like ground swell of cheering and there's nothing and there was one day where it was particularly bad and i looked at my cooks and i was like you would hear crickets chirping but even they're too uncomfortable <laughs> He's depressed the whole place. And then it's, it's like nobody, everybody's like, all right. <laughs> it's so bad. And we even, I don't know why I'm going off on this one person. There's a story about a fryer basket in there somewhere. <laughs> but so there was a night where he was performing and in the middle of one of his songs, something happened at one of the tables and all of them started cheering. It was like a 10 top and they all started cheering. And I looked at one of my cooks and I was like, he probably thinks that's for him in his head. He's like, dude, I'm killing it right now. <laughs> they weren't cheering for you, buddy. Anyway, the story about the fryer basket is. Cause he's also kind of a douche. So he doesn't help himself. Yeah. Is, is the point here. He, not only does he depress everybody with his whiny music, but he's kind of a douchebag. Yeah. So he, I've never seen him come into like the back area of our kitchen, like ever. I went to the restroom and then I came into where our little server station is. And he was standing there with 
like a to-go box that was full of potato chips. Like we we fry our own potato chips for chips and onion dip. And I looked at it and I was like, I wonder if somebody gave this to him. And I went in the back where my prep cook was and I was like, did that guy come and take fry like chips directly out of my fryer basket? And my cook was like, yeah, I thought somebody told him he could because he just kind of roamed over, looked in there. And he goes and I looked at him and he kind of looked at me and goes, "Um, should I get a glove? And my cook was like, yes. <laughs> and he got a glove and took chips out of it. Now, first of all, who the, who does that? Like, just who walks the fuck in... are you just walking in the back of a... <laughs> yeah. And then the second thing is we had taken... We had um, 86 of those off the menu because we needed like 17 bowls for a party. So I was trying to get enough to make sure we had enough for the party and then we, we would open them up in the restaurant again. So it's like I needed those. It wasn't even like I was just prepping like normal. Like these were for a Yeah, thing. these were earmarked. Like get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So it was the fact that he just randomly came in the back and randomly grabbed product that was there. At least he got a glove. But I was so angry in the moment that I went over. And I'm not a yeller. I didn't yell at him. My old cooks used to tell me that when you get mad, you don't get angry. You get daddy voice. Because it's just that like hyper intense. But yeah, so I went over and I'm like, do you work here? Do you know, did you get those? And he kind of like shook with the potato chip box <laughs> in his hand. And I I kind of read him the riot act and I walked away. And then later on, I had two servers that were in the server station getting drinks for tables. And they came back over and one of them was like, I'm so glad you yelled at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like they were both like, that was so fun to watch. <laughs> But it's like, who just like walks over? Like, you don't yeah. fucking work there, bro. And you're just going to be like, mm, to help myself. It's like going to someone's house and just like opening their, like a stranger's house and opening a up their fridge and just, house, just like yeah. eating their fucking food. It's like, yeah. who the fuck are you? Yeah. Wild. Anyway. So we, he's we got went some. off the rails. Yeah. We've... Okay. So back to the actual episode recap. <laughs> they arrived at Doe's and Lego is telling everyone that they'll like the cheeseburgers. He's like, they're real greasy. This is the first time I've ever noticed that he uses the Z sound. The z- yeah. The real greasy. It ain't easy. Being greasy. Mm-hmm. So that's mostly what they all order. And the pop-up screen says that they ordered four pounds worth of ground beef, six pounds of French fries, 12 tamales, and a gallon of ketchup. You know those Duggars love ketchup. Dear God, that's a lot of fucking ketchup. Dancing King, when they were trying to decide what to eat, also said that he wanted cheese. And I'm like, they have a very cheese-forward diet. <laughs> they do. They really do. And he was like, did you come here, Dancing King, um, when yeah. you were little? And he was like, oh, not when I was little, when I was a representative. <laughs> so, um, Justin, I just want, this is just a random thing I want to point out. But Justin has been rocking his little sailor hat. <laughs> ever since the episode where they went to the submarine and i fucking dig it yeah i'm yep. like you do you justin he looks cute yep it's a good look on him <laughs> he's rocking the hat it's funny because the a bunch of the lost boys are in that age where like you can tell that they'll get attached to something and that'll be their thing for a while our nephew was hardcore into um a stormtrooper mask for a while and he oh he wore, wore it everywhere everywhere <laughs> we go out to eat he's wearing it trying to eat through the mask like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> he was really into it we went out for tim's birthday and 
to like have like ramen and he's just mm-hmm. sitting there wearing a stormtrooper mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, this is Justin's stormtrooper, <laughs> his little sailor hat. Anything else you have on the restaurant? That's all I have. Nope. Okay. So now they're at the Museum of Discovery. And they get to hold snakes and a baby alligator and a tarantula, which Baby Cannon said it brought her back childhood memories of having a pet tarantula. Which, like, she was hardcore probably, like, Joy when she was younger. And she said that. Oh, yeah, like, Joy reminds... So. I think I remember her saying that. But I'm like, yeah, she was definitely, like, mm-hmm. a Joy type. And she says that she thinks she held it too much because its legs started falling off. And I was like, can you imagine a tarantula, like, falling off on you? <laughs> Yeesh. Yucca. Um, and then other than that, I don't have tons to say because they're mostly... You're just mostly watching them do stuff, but not necessarily stuff worth recapping. I mean, yeah. it's just... They're at a museum. Yeah. And it's one of those cool, like, really interactive children's museums. That's all it is. But yeah, there's like, I'm one of my, oh, yeah, they did this, and then they did this, and they hit this button. There's no, yeah. nothing to really say. There is there is one ginger face in this. Um, and it was some, they were reading, her and I think Jill were reading um, one of the exhibits. I was trying to think of what that word is. Yeah, they were reading one of the exhibits, and she gave ginger face so there's a little ginger face um yeah there wasn't wasn't there's was a Jana Jana speaks i have that a later bit. oh i have it later on and in but... the next one yeah okay. i was like the end of this episode is very Jana heavy yeah. so okay we'll do ginger face i didn't have that down but i will take your word for it okay then it flashes over to springdale and we get an unfortunate like pro pest campaign oh um, yeah it splices between footage of Pest working at the car lot and Joe, like, talking him up. Um, obviously, they're asking him, but, like, it's Joe talking him up, saying things like, how Josh is organized and was always the one to make his bed in the morning. <laughs> and that he's outgoing and likes to talk, which helps him in business as a salesman. And Joe says, I don't like talking much, so I probably wouldn't be that great of a salesman. <laughs> Which you we wouldn't, buddy. We saw the sheer and utter fucking panic last week. So and you you found the perfect screen grab of I that. Know. He's so terrified. I know his phone rings and his whole face goes. <laughs> <gasps> it was like a cartoon. He was like an emoji. I was really glad because sometimes when I'm get, um, trying to get visuals, if there's too much movement, like you can't get a good yeah, one. Yeah, the frames don't look good. Yeah. And I was glad that that turned out <laughs> decent. And then Pest gets to be all smug again. Because, you know, first, it was teaching Joe the importance of insurance. Yeah. Now, this week, it's that a group of students from a small homeschool group have come to the car lot for a field trip to learn about the benefits of buying a used car for their finance class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's just, he's fucking, he's eating it up. Like, oh, yeah. He's loving it as he holds court with all eyes and ears on him. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, yeah, you know, it's really good when you buy a used car. And it's like, gee, thanks for the insight. <laughs> depreciation mm. it's like he threw out some words and it's like <laughs> gee thanks yeah in the next scene they're organizing all of canon's breast milk from the freezer by date and we get some stats in the pop-up box mm-hmm. michelle has spent roughly 275 months of her life breastfeeding and has produced about twenty thousand gallons of milk insane it's great like 275 insane. like that's like 20 something years <laughs> Isn't that? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. Isn't it like 22 years or something like that? Oh, man. That's, it's a long last time. That's wild. And then we get a Janice Speaks square, which I... Yeah. Because um, 
She explains that she and Jill are going to visit Josie at the hospital because Lego and Cannon are sick. They're the minimum age of 18 so they can go in their place so that someone mm-hmm. is still visiting Josie daily. And I mean, they're going to be the ones that are going to be taking care of her. So it's good that, you know, Josie got to meet her real parent. Yeah, it's yeah. like time to really meet her mother, <laughs> get get her used to her future yeah. caretakers. And this is the first time Jana's getting to hold her. Apparently, Jill got to a few days earlier. Mm. But it's the first for Jana. And she says that she's a little nervous with all the wires and tubes. But of course, everything turns out fine. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got. Do you have anything else? No. I've... There was a lot of Jana in this, in like the end of this episode, and I feel like, I feel like she's an interesting person, and I, I, I hope she gets more time. Well, you'll just have to wait and see, honey. I know. I'm on the edge of my proverbial seat over here. <laughs> I was one space short. Oh, really? I got the best I got was three. What, what were you short? Inappropriate attire. Uh, yeah. So almost. Yeah, I got three in three spots. All, yeah, so I got a lot of threes, just not... And I feel like there was a decent amount in this episode, too. For so. an episode that didn't have a ton of content, it had a lot of it had a lot of bingo scores because there was so much change in scenes. Yeah. So that kind of yeah. helped, so... Mm-hmm. But really, this just became about Bill Clinton's short shorts and people eating out of fryer baskets. And saxophone. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think that was really what this episode was about. That's exactly it, yep. yep. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So just a reminder that this week's dig is a continuation of last week's. So we will be talking more about the documentary Jesus Camp. So if for some reason you randomly landed here, you're going to want to listen to our previous episode before proceeding. To get the full story. I don't know who the fuck I think I am, though. Because like last week, I'm like, do I know myself? Because last week it was 16 pages. We went through about... 10-ish. I had about six and a half pages to go. And I was like, cool, for this next one, I'll be able to add in some detail that I cut because it was already 16 pages. Cool. I was like, it'll be done. I can get it done in a couple of hours. So I I took Saturday completely off when normally I'm having to do one of the things, one of the jobs, podcaster, job, job. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the day off. I'll probably be able to get it done in like three hours on Sunday. It'll open up a, a day for us together on... And here I fucking am. It, it was probably a day and a half, close to two days. So I don't know who I... Th- so I still got Saturday off, which was very nice. Have, and But yeah, so what was six and a half-ish pages that I thought maybe would grow to maybe 10? We're looking at 14 and a half pages. So when you add the two together, we're looking at 25 pages of uh, between the two. <laughs> I don't know who who I was. I'm like, yeah, I just had a couple little details. And then I, here I am like yeah, two days later. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was two days versus three, though. So that's something. Okay. Progress. So I'm going to kick off today with focusing on Levi for a bit. Okay. While the film followed three children, I would argue Levi is the one followed the most closely. Mm-hmm. 
he and Rachel get the most screen time, but he edges her out a little for reasons we'll get to in a moment. Which, by the way, Levi and Rachel know each other. Oh, really? Did you see that he's in, like, the bowling scene? Oh, really? I didn't Yeah, so they're from the same church in Missouri. Okay. So, like, even though that bowling scene really really centered around Rachel, Levi's, like, cheering her on in the background. Mm. So, yeah. First and foremost, though, let's discuss the, the important things. <laughs> Levi's fine fashions. Yep. He rocked a shirt that one Lego-haired buffoon would be quite jealous of. Um, he'd be he'd be jealous. Mm-hmm. Tim, would you like to expand on the look? Um, this is the orange one, right? Yes. Yeah, so it is an orange shirt uh, that's supposed to look like the Reese's Cup logo. Um, but it says Jesus on it, does it not? It does. Okay. Did you get any other things that you read off of it? Like, did you see any other... It says, like, I, I didn't write it all down, but I think it says, like, King of Kings, and then I think it says, like, Savior something, and then, okay. like, in the cut part, it says, like, King of Kings, I believe. Oh, those Duggar kids would love that. Oh, yeah. Add some Mountain Dew socks from the Dollar Tree. <laughs> like, I post, I posted uh, stucking, stucking, stuffing Duggar stockings or actually gift bags okay. at Christmas oh, yeah, time, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and because I'd been saving for a couple months, like, random shit, I was like, oh, a Duggar would love this, and Jim Bob would love Dollar Tree because they have Reese's and Mountain Dew socks. <laughs> so I feel like if he's wearing the Reese's Jesus shirt, just mm-hmm. add in some Mountain Dew socks and you maybe like a cell phone belt clip and you've got yourself a Man. Jim Bob Duggar fit. It's made for him. Yep. But shirt aside, like I said last week, Levi is really propped up throughout the documentary as this child preacher. At one point, he's given the opportunity to give a sermon at camp. And we watch him pace around to practice and write. And he says, I feel, I really feel that we're a key generation. I really do. I really feel that this generation is a key generation to Jesus coming back. And then he's like, that's exactly what I want to say. And he starts, starts mm-hmm. writing. He's all pumped up, right? Yep. But he says that he doesn't write the sermons that God does and that he can feel it in his arm as he writes. So he's like, it's me, but it's like not me. And this next part is shown after Levi's sermon in the documentary. But the scene is actually from the prayer conference, which took place months Mm -hmm. before camp. And in this scene, um, Pancake Man, Lou Engel from IHOP. But it's the International House of Prayer. So so Lou Engel is a guest speaker. And he starts off by saying that he usually preaches to adults. But tonight, I get to talk to maybe the most important generation in American history. And then he calls up the young man with the long hair. That's Levi, guys. <laughs> he didn't say rat tail, but he means he means <laughs> Levi. And he talks about how God wrote a book about his life, and he wrote, Levi, Levi would be a God seeker from an early age, and he would become a voice that touched America. And then there's some other stuff in between, but I'll pick back up where he says, and in his 20s, he'll begin to shake things real strong for God in the nation. He has like a real like raspy. Oh, yeah. he get, Yeah. <laughs> you could tell that he's getting in. Once again, the theatrics that, yeah. you know, Becky is also using. So there's more, but that's the main part that I wanted to touch on. So I bring this up because it looks like it was after, but it was actually months before his, uh, Levi's sermon. Okay. 
and just the opener itself about the most important generation in American history has some similarities to (laughs) Levi's sermon. And I'm not suggesting that Levi only got this idea from Pancake Man, but more so speaks to how... I think this is just a really common message that they send like the kids all the time. It's always, they're always the generation, right? Right, right, <laughs> like, right, right. And so it's to be expected that Levi would parrot those same kind of things in his own sermon. Mm-hmm. But hey, that's what they want. They want them to just spread their same message, yep. but take it from a kid. It's a through line, yep. So this child preacher narrative continues later as we see Levi and his family in Colorado Springs to attend a service at New Life Church. And this is a time where even the filmmakers themselves are kind of pushing this child preacher protege Mm -hmm. thing. Because the O'Brien family from Missouri wasn't just randomly taking a fucking trip to Colorado to attend a church service, you know? Right, right, right. The trip was set up by Heidi and Rachel. So not completely out of the realm of something he and his family might want to do. But it's not entirely organic either. Yeah, yeah. it's produced, which doesn't mean it's totally fake, which is, it's kind of just like reality shows in general. What people may be saying and doing in the moment may be real, but doesn't mean that the situation wasn't produced wasn't to, set up. to get them there. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, just that they wouldn't have been there otherwise, but it was like, mm-hmm. let's take this kid and send him to a mega church Yeah. because he's the preacher kid. Right. And it was definitely to push this story of Levi as like this Doogie Hauser of ministry, basically. And I think that Heidi and Rachel really wanted to focus on Levi because it was it was interesting to them and inspired this film to begin with. Mm-hmm. Their previous documentary before Jesus Camp had a like a Baptist child preacher in it. Okay. And I think that's what really spurred the idea of Jesus Camp and the no they've said it's like what made them be like oh we want to do religion through the eyes of a child. Okay. But it does look like they were sort of replicating, trying to find, like, this child preacher again. Okay. That makes sense. I can see that, too, now that you say that. Yeah. Any hoozle. So, Levi and his family are at the mega church of Ted Haggard. And we will talk about him twice more (laughs) after this. But keeping it just on Levi for now. Just his parts with it. So, after the sermon, Levi is introduced to Ted. And Ted is kind of a dick to him. Yeah. Douchebag. (laughs) Ted asks him if people like hearing him preach, and Levi says, it seems everyone pays more attention. And then Ted asks, is it your content or because you're a kid? And Levi says, he doesn't know. And then Ted says, well, you know, you'll know when you're 30. I say use your cute kid thing until you're 30, and by then you'll have good content. So he's just kind of an asshole, like condescending. super creepy. Yes, he's a fucking creep. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And I told Whitney as I was watching this, I hit pause and looked him up because of this scene, because of that interaction. I'm like, there's something here that's odd, and I'm not sure what it is, and I looked it up. It was very warranted. (laughs) Yeah. So So he's just kind of dismissive of an asshole to him. Yeah. Which I'm just like, yeah, unnecessary, dude. Like, Mm -hmm. shut the fuck up. And then we get to see Levi kind of strut around the empty stage, looking like he's ready to spit some spit some bars about like Genesis or something, you know, like <laughs> homie was feeling the yep. feeling the empty stage, and he was mm-hmm. ima- you could tell like he was imagining himself in that yep. moment. But actually, Tim, the way that they talk about Levi and sort of you know, put him a little bit on a pedestal, 
Mm-hmm. Actually extends beyond what we saw in the documentary. Okay. In Becky's book, she talks about how... I th- I, I, I can't remember now if it was conference or camp. I think it might have been conference, but don't quote me, but it really doesn't fucking matter. But during one of them, there was a tornado warning. And so they were like, oh, because remember, they done all the pr- they do all the prayers and stuff. And Levi grabbed the mic and rebuked the tornado. And then she, Becky's like, and then everything was fine. It just went around them. And that when families went out, like stuff went around all of their stuff. Like other things were all torn up, but not the family's things. And so I'm like, are you saying Levi's rebuking did all this? It's what I'm picking up. I just want to know why he's so anti-weather. She also says how when they began filming, she noticed that Heidi was struggling a bit and admitted that she was having back pain. So Levi prayed over her. And what do you know? Her back pain lifted and she was running all over the place. Okay. So I just feel like Becky's including this in her book five years later. And I still feel like she's trying to push this. You know yeah. what I mean? So I feel like from all angles, everyone is. And I'm just uncomfy with allowing or putting this level of ministry type stuff on a kid. Mm-hmm. Like even if you say, oh, he enjoyed it. Maybe so, but I don't think that 12 is an appropriate age for everyone to start acting like you're some sort of pastor protege. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that kids don't have things like worthwhile to say or that we can't learn from them. Just talking like in general about mm-hmm. life, because I think they can have great things to say and that we can learn from them for sure. But this feels very different to me than something more natural where you're like, man, that mm-hmm. kid was just like, that was really smart or something, you know. Yeah. He's being propped up to do it. Mm-hmm. Or other people would say groomed, whatever fucking word you want to use. Like right. he's being set up by adults to be like, look, 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 look mm-hmm. at this. And I feel like that has the potential to go like very, very wrong. Yeah. Because it places a lot of pressure and a lot of eyes on a child that I just don't think that they should have that kind of weight or responsibility yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And because being 12 is already a lot like you're still learning so much about yourself and the world constantly mm-hmm. it's you know your child you haven't fully come into your own, your own yet so mm-hmm. it's hard enough being a child preteen, teen and young adult in this world and then just imagine for a moment if levi did start having doubts feelings of doubts like think back to that sweet little andrew expressing how he felt guilty and like a fake which is terrible enough as it is then add on top of the weight of being seen as this like child preacher. Mm-hmm. That would, to me, just amplify the guilt and the shame even more. Potentially really intensified feelings of being a fake. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a bad idea all around. Even if it seems to be something he enjoys. He, he can wait till he's older, you know. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be doing this as a kid. But this points back to how these adults view these kids. Mm-hmm. Like Becky said it herself in last week's episode, they're so usable in Christianity. Yeah. And that's why these adults glom onto this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it takes us back to Joshua Harris yet again. He comes up a lot, but it's because he's really a, he's a good illustration of so many things. Yeah. But it's just like what we talked about with him. Before he even wrote his book, he had that magazine for teens. Mm-hmm. And then he's given this book deal through connections for the to then write, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Stuff like that happens when the adults around these kids are fucking thrilled to have a child spread their own beliefs. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about the kids at all. It's about how the, they can benefit from the kids pushing the message that they want pushed. Knowing damn well that kid to kid or 
teen to teen, young adult to young adult is really a successful way to do it. So they're just, they're just, they're tools. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I don't like it. I feel like it has such a potential to go so wrong and kids don't need that kind of pressure while those, they're still growing and figuring out life for themselves. So let's not put it on a kid that's like, you're like this preacher type. Yeah. I just think it's yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. Switching gears. I want to quote something Levi said in the documentary. Whenever I run into, run into a non-Christian or something, you know, I always, you know, there's always something that doesn't seem right. There's always something that just makes my spirit feel yucky, you know? So not a great statement. <laughs> no, no. But I don't bring this and up. Also, and also not super Christ-like. <laughs> no, definitely not. But I don't bring this up to roast a 12-year-old. In fact, I don't even hold it against him. He's a fucking child. Yeah. If he said this as an adult, that would be different. Mm-hmm. Like, if an adult says this, I believe you. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. But with the child, though, I give considerable grace and uh, benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if he actually feels this way or thinks he's supposed to and it's a thing to say. Right. And that's the real reason I bring this up. Because it once again comes back to the topic of messaging. Mm-hmm. And how messaging doesn't always mean exact words. Like, it, it can be exact mm-hmm. words, but it's not limited to that. Right. So maybe no adult has ever said that, you know, non-Christians just give give them that yucky feeling to <laughs> Levi. But somewhere along the line, this has been fostered mm-hmm. to some extent in some way. So I feel like, again, we can take this back to... Remember in Jill's book when she says that Canon got after them when they were, like, commenting about... Like the immodest dress yeah, of a yeah. girl. And she was like, no, she like got after them. Or even the one I've told multiple times, my sister making comments about the lady buying coffee. It's all the same shit. Yeah. And it's not a stretch to connect that Levi saying non-Christians make his spirit feel yucky is the result of some form of messaging. Of course. And I feel like you see it come through in the film already. Like, we may not have heard those exact words, but you hear a lot of us versus them mentality type things. Mm -hmm. Lots of talk of the sick world. Like, she said sick world. So, yeah, and that's where it's just like, oh, they're so yucky, you know? And it's two reasons. It's one thing to make you less likely to either look outside of your group or talk to people outside of your group. or So it gives you that. I think it also props them up. Where it's the idea of, I'm, we have the real understanding how things are. These people are just not, not with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So one of my biggest things I disliked about my church experience was the, like the piety of like, this person is more blah, blah, blah than, than this group because they do this or their kids are doing this or, I don't know. So I feel like, I feel like you see it here. It's oh, the self-persecution. Sure. And then also the, we're way better than everybody else. Yeah. So So after Levi's yucky talk, he continues, this world, all it feeds you is trash. It's like giving out candy, but I don't want candy. I want the meat. The Holy Spirit is like the meat. Good food, you know, food that you need and stuff that's good, but then candy would just make you sick. That's what a lot of people in this world, they're sick. They're looking for something. So that is a word salad. <laughs> the, it's definitely the sort of analogies and kind of theatrical 
things you hear in sermons. You know, yeah. wanting the meat and, you know, it just makes you sick. <laughs> so Levi is well on his way in that sense. Yeah. He's picking up on the lingo for sure. <laughs> Uh, so he's an interesting character in this mm-hmm. film for sure. Yeah. So now let's get into the politics of the film. This is Becky's biggest gripe about the documentary as a whole. In her books, she said, quote, my issue was and always will be that we as a ministry do not see ourselves as political activists, nor are we motivated by political issues in what we teach children. As such, and from this basis, I took great issue with the political slant in the movie. Which we've talked a lot in our description of this and the fact that there is, there's no commentary on anything. And I think, I think I will say even like the editing seems relatively innocuous. Like it didn't feel like there was a. They weren't p- trying to push an idea of anything. They were kind of showing this. So the fact that she thinks that there was a slant to the movie, it's like, lady, we were literally showing you your own footage. Well, she does acknowledge that it wasn't, like, made up. She says, quote, The political elements they pulled together to tell their story were not outside the facts or reality of what the Christian community would and would and does do. We so really... Then- Good. We really did do those supposedly p- political things at our events. They didn't make it up. So then what's your problem? So my thing is, there, she and others, I've seen it a lot of places, they are hell-bent, heck-bent, on um, s- saying that, no, it's biblical, it's not political. You know? They, they, they will not, like, they, they don't... <laughs> They're it like, we would, they, they just, I don't know why they all like, and she says that type of stuff repeatedly where she was just like, no, this is just our beliefs. It's bi- biblical. It's not political. And it's like, you but don't, your you actions don't see, are still the same. You don't whether see you, how it, <laughs> whether you say it's for another reason or not, your actions are the same. Yeah. And the things that you're teaching the younger people in your group are still the same, regardless of whether you say it's for something else. Yeah. So she's not denying that these things happened, but it's the age old issue that many subjects of these types of things have with editing. It's that she feels like that's not really their focus, but whittled down, it makes it look that look that way. And that's what her issue is. I'm not upset that we say these things to our people. I'm upset that other people know about them now. <laughs> but on that note, let's talk about those political elements in the documentary. First of all, let's... Remember that this was filmed in 2005, so still a very post-9-11 climate Mm -hmm. in the United States. And over the course of history, there's these moments where there's these upticks in evangelical movements, and this is one of those Mm -hmm. times. So keeping that in mind, early in the film, Becky talks about how people in the Middle East are training kids to use rifles and machine guns and putting on bomb belts, and then says, quote, It's no wonder... With that kind of intense training and discipling, that those young people are ready to kill themselves for the cause of Islam. She also said, I want to see young people who are as committed to the cause of Jesus Christ as the young people are at the cause of Islam. I want to see them radically laying down their lives for the gospel as they are over in Pakistan, Israel, and in Palestine, and all those different places. You know, because we have, excuse me, but we have the truth. There it is. Oh, Becky. There it is. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, all of that is, oh, Becky, 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 Becky. (laughs) So many things there. She then talks about how President Bush has brought credibility. (laughs) Credibility to the Christian faith. And that today is a fulfillment. So then Mm -hmm. today is a fulfillment of prophecy that, quote, we've got to stand up and take back the land. In a scene from the prayer conference, they bring out a cardboard cutout of W himself. And the kids are instructed, talk to him. Say, welcome, President Bush. We're glad you're here. The woman doing it was weird as hell, too. She was like, she was like a a wackadoodle. She was like a creepy Mary Berry. There you go. Scary Berry. (laughs) She was scary Berry. There you go. She was. Did she kind of give you that vibe? Like some of her clothes, like her clothing, the way she spoke, her mannerisms. Oh, total fucking scary Berry. Scary Scary Berry. (laughs) No, thank you. No. Um, No me gusta. Any hoozle. So scary Berry. So she's like, say welcome, President Bush. And then they like, rep- you know, like say it back. We're glad you're here. We're glad to you're here. Cut out, yeah. And she's, it's so weird. And then the kids are told to speak a blessing on him. So the kids gather around this cardboard cutout to touch it while they speak in tongues. And it's really fucking weird. It's awkward. <laughs> Isn't there something in the Bible about not having idols? Idols? Well, no, I felt like that a lot of times during yeah. this. Like, I didn't bring it up every single time. But, like, to me, it kind of even felt that way with, like, like during the Christian flag thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, could you not say that this is kind of a little bit like an idol <laughs> or, like, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, but the cardboard fucking cut out a W really just <laughs> sent it over the edge. And it's after this debacle that um, Lou Angle, the pancake man from IHOP, comes out and does a sermon about abortion. And this is the same sermon we we referenced earlier Mm -hmm. when he called Levi up. And they actually don't show a ton of it. And since this was from the prayer conference and not the camp, I am sort of left wondering if abortion was covered at the camp as well. And they just didn't show any of it in the film. Because all signs point to that being like a mainstay topic. I mean, even today, it's like a mainstay topic Mm -hmm. at these kinds of camps and conferences. So I'm kind of curious as to why it either wasn't shown at all at the camp or if for some weird reason it was skipped as a topic that year, which Mm -hmm. would be odd if it was. Right. Because comments from people who attended the camp at different points in different years, they're like, oh, yeah, that was always a thing. And they're like, it was always like pretty graphic. Yeah. And they always do the whole like, all of these empty seats are your friends that aren't here. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. could have been the president of the United States may not be here. And they, mm-hmm. they, they, all those, they, they all say the same things. Right. <laughs> like, in all of them. So the main highlight is when he puts red duct tape over their mouth that says life written on it. And then they're all holding little plastic fetuses, mm-hmm. which in Becky's book, she was like, we got 150 of them donated to us. And then they got like little bracelets. And so some of them are taking, putting the little plastic fetus like in their hand and then putting like in the palm. Mm -hmm. And then they're putting the bracelet over it. Like, so they have this like little baby like strapped to their palm and they're like putting their palm in the air. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. And his sermon ends. And then the little girl who is the cover girl Mm -hmm. of the documentary, she's crying out, no more, no more. And then all the kids have their hands in the air and they're all chanting, righteous judges, righteous judges. 
And before I get to what Becky's beef with this scene was, I want to point out something that I read in her book that really stood out to me. In regards to the children chanting righteous judges, she, she actually says, Please do not think we are judging anyone by using the word righteous. It is not our intent to call one righteous and another unrighteous. That is something only God can declare. But you but could you, have all your kids but declare you did. it. <laughs> but you did. But yeah. you did. Because one of the things that Pancakes over there was was saying during that point was, um, we need to we need to appoint judges in this land that believe the same things that we believe. Yeah. Essentially, so that's why they were chanting righteous judges mm-hmm. because it was him being like, no, these are the people that we need to put into the Supreme Court. Yeah. It- and so it's, you can say, oh, we don't intend to call people righteous and others unrighteous. But you but, are, bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. And on that note, since this is literally what you did, but you feel the need in your own book to clarify that you, you supposedly weren't meaning that, <laughs> let's once again take this back to kids. So when kids start judging people and placing them in one of two categories, as either righteous or unrighteous, Did those kids just, like, misunderstand you? (laughs) Because you supposedly never intended that? Yeah. I mean, I don't think kids are fucking misunderstanding anything. I Mm. think that's what you meant. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that they didn't mean that way. Mean it that way. Which they did. But um, say they didn't. Well, then you're doing a real shit job of relaying that to kids. Mm-hmm. If you think that later in your book, you have to be like, oh, well, we didn't mean it that way. Yeah. Well, what are all the kids that were the fucking, the hundreds of kids that were there think? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this is one again with fucking messaging. Mm-hmm. And once again, she's, she's on damage control at that point. Oh yeah. Like, that's all it is. But this is exactly the type of stuff that makes Levi say that non-Christians make him feel yucky. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. this is a perfect illustration of the type of messaging that leads to these types of statements from children. Mm-hmm. It's like they, the Becky types and whoever, just mm-hmm. they put these things out there. And then when it looks bad, they're like, oh, no, no, no. We would never do that. Only of God course. can do that. Yeah. How convenient. I'm convinced. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, well, the kids misunderstood. No, the kids didn't misunderstand. And you, you know what? You just feel shitty because your opinion seems shitty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you're like, oh, the kids took it... Just saying, if there's going to be arguments as to, like, what they think happened, Mm. if you're going to then later be like, oh, the kids took it too literally, blah, 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 well, then your messaging isn't clear enough. Yeah. (laughs) And you're obviously not doing anything to counteract that. Exactly. But it's all bullshit anyways. I'm just saying, oh, if that's the case, well, then what are you Mm. doing differently? Nothing, because that is what they meant. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like in a sound, in an echo chamber that this woman lives in, when she says things like that, I think the go-to from all the people that are around here is to agree and, and yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to agree with her. And I feel like when something was put out that was not pre- just presented to the echo chamber of her own opinions, people that have the same opinion that she does, I feel, feel like now she's actually having to grapple with the fact that, like, hey, you don't – this doesn't make you look so great. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's – there's something to be said for that because she can say whatever the hell she wants around the people that believe the same things that she believes because they're going to agree with her. Yeah. And I've, there's a there was a thing going around where it's like if anybody says anything really like 
shitty or like snarky to you, make them repeat it because it makes them have to think about what they said, like in the moment. And this guy was talking about like in work scenarios where if somebody says something really shitty to you, because you can tell that that's their knee jerk reaction of like how I'm going to talk to you right now. If you stop and you're like, I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear that. Can you repeat that, please? It makes their brain, instead of just oh, being shit. able to blurt <laughs> out something shitty, it makes their brain go, oh, wait, now I need to analyze what he said. Oh, God, now I feel bad. Oh, now, oh, that probably, you know what I mean? Yeah, they have to think about it for uh, another mm-hmm. split second. Yep. Yep. So Becky also says in her book that she's bothered by the fact that the scene of the chanting for righteous judges was filmed at the conference, which took place before Sandra Day O'Connor announced that she was resigning Mm -hmm. and that the film made it look like it was after. And it's true that the film does make it look like it takes place after because the film open it, like the opener of the film Mm -hmm. is hearing over the radio, like the announcement that Sandra Day O'Connor is resigning. Yeah. So she's not wrong about that and how that's what the time like looks in its presentation. But I'm not seeing her point on how that changes anything. <laughs> no, because it was it was a known fact. Well, but so they were actually praying and chanting for righteous judges before they knew that there was an opening. Mm-hmm. What does that change really other than the fact that that shows that you weren't actually even just doing it because there was an opening? This is something you guys always do. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get the point she's trying to make. I don't understand why that bothers her so much. <laughs> because she needs to find something to be bothered with. I just this. don't. I don't get it. So you were doing that even before there was an opening. So that means that all the time you're constantly chanting for righteous judges. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just because there was an opportunity. You always do it. Yeah. So why does that make it look better or worse? I don't understand. And I think on the same vein of what I was saying before, that's kind of this too, where like if somebody semi-aligns with this woman's thoughts and they're reading her book and they watched the documentary and she's and she says, oh, we didn't, the timelines don't line up on that. In that person's head, they're going to look and go, oh, yeah, well, everything she says in this, refuting all the stuff in the documentary is correct. Because in their head, they're going, oh, yeah, that's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after Lou's sermon, Becky gets on the mic and says, you made a covenant tonight that you're going to pray to end abortion, abortion in America. Don't take that lightly. Don't be a promise breaker. So, again, she's laying on that guilt ahead of time. So she's got to get ahead of it, you know. Because before it was like, don't be a phony, don't be a hypocrite. And now she was just like, you know, don't be a promise breaker. Like, yeah. she's getting, she, she can't see them every day. There's not camp and conferences every day. That's so you got to lay on the they guilt gotta for, the, that bookstore. for the <laughs> They got to hit that bookstore and buy her, and buy her books, damn it. And then later we see Lou. Um, so Pancake Man, with Levi, Rachel, and a few other kids in Washington, D.C., demonstrating with the life tape over their mouth. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty short. And this is actually another sort of extra thing set up for the film. They, you know, the camp is in North Dakota. They weren't taking these kids from North Dakota to D.C. To DC. <laughs> for camp. And they weren't going from Missouri to D.C. It's something, is it something that they w- would be interested in doing? Yes. They agreed to it. They would want to go. Yeah. But it wasn't something that would have happened without being set up by the filmmakers. Yeah. So more on politics. We're going to take it back to the O'Brien's family trip to Colorado Springs. Where, like Tim said, Ted Haggard is creepy as fuck. Oh, man. 
like seriously just fucking oozes creepy mccreeperton like yep. oh he everything mm-hmm. about him and aside from being a creepo and uh, a dick to levi he's the president of the national association of evangelicals yep and oddly enough he's the only one to mention homosexuality in the whole film <laughs> and i i really expected to hear about it more like right, i thought that right, would be right. a whole night of camp like you know what i mean <laughs> like literally like but nope um the only mention is when creepo says quote we don't have to debate about it what we should think about homosexual activity it's written in the bible so i'm gonna move on more but i just want to point out that that was the only mention of it he also gets up in the camera and says i think i know what you did last night if you send me a thousand dollars i won't tell your wife then after he gets laughs, he says, if you use any of this, I'll sue you and gets more laughs. It was odd. Like it, it was, it was uncomfortable. And in Becky's book, Becky says that Rachel and, and Heidi told her that they actually filmed two of his services and that he did the same thing both times. <laughs> so keep that in mind for some stuff later where like there was, this was a bit with him. Like if yeah. he did the same thing twice, he had mm-hmm. this bit. Oh, yeah. That was part of his performance. Made up in his head. So just keep that in mind. Part of his tight 10, you know? Yep. So I couldn't leave those out. They're (laughs) Just because I want to tell you how fucking creepy he is. But really, the point of him was more at the the end of his sermon in a more like one-on-one. He talks of the growth of the evangelical megachurches and says, It's got enough growth to essentially sway every election. If the evangelicals vote, they determine the election. Not political at all, you know. No. 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 It was just edited weird to make it seem political. Yeah. I mean, it's it's exactly what we said and do and believe, but like, but we're not political. (laughs) But why did you have to show it? So back to other politics, the sort of counter in the film is this ongoing commentary from Mike Papantonio who he's a lawyer and has a radio show and there's small clips throughout the film where he voices that even as a Christian himself, he strongly believes in the separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. In Becky's book, she recounts how Rachel and Heidi kept asking her to talk with him. And Becky said, quote, this was my personal epiphany when I realized for the first time the movie was going down a political road and I didn't like it. She also says that Heidi told her that there just wasn't enough conflict in the movie to make it a compelling story and that Heidi's friends were teasing her and were like, how much should kids in ministry pay you to make this film? (laughs) Because what they had up to that point was in their favor. Now, I don't agree with in their favor so, so much as maybe the footage they had up to that point just lacked something directly contrary. Context, yeah. But I say, I say that because, I mean, they don't do themselves any favors. <laughs> so I'm not sure in their favor is how I describe it. But there wasn't an, a, a direct adversary. Mm-hmm. And Heidi basically says, is, says just this later in an interview saying, quote, At one point, we realized that there was no tension in the film. The film was entirely from the perspective of the kids and their parents in the movie. So it felt somewhat unsatisfying. We needed another voice, so we cast, and you know, quotes, a Christian radio host named Mike Papantonio, 
who disagrees with the education of these children and believes that the Christian right is trampling on the separation of church and state. He added the conflict that was needed. And I will say, as much as that's Becky's gripe, she does later on, like, say, I do understand, though, that if I had gotten the movie that I wanted, nobody would have watched it. So she kind of ends at, like, a, I didn't like it, but at the... For, at, she didn't like the political slant but she kind of is like okay I see why they needed it and at the end of it all she's actually okay with the movie it's oh, kind of where she lands Okay. so eventually Becky agrees to go on Mike's show and right out of the gate he asked her why kids are the new army of God why kids Becky said anyone who does any work with kids knows that because the reason you go for kids is because whatever they learn by the time they are seven, eight, nine years old is pretty well there for the rest of their lives. And there are statistics that you can re- research for yourself. Which I had to address this because of her verbiage of how anyone knows that you go for kids <laughs> is pretty telling Yeah, and only adds to my feelings of how it's really not about the kids. No, it's not. And it's about... The tool that they are. Yeah. I didn't go even realize that. for kids. The reason you... Anybody knows the reason you go for kids. Mm-hmm. I went, yeesh. Yeah, that's rough. And you know what's funny is the thing that stuck out to me or that part is actually the last half of the sentence. Because I feel like for the most part, when people have any sort of truth with... If they're making a statement or they're making a point that is a truth that has evidence, they're going to want to show you proof of something to give them validation, like to give their point validation. And I feel like there's a lot of times where if somebody is lying or presenting something that is a a miscue or it's out of context or whatever it is, they always throw the burden of proof on the other person. You can look up these. <laughs> you can look them. I'm going to say that 50% of these kids are blah, blah, blah. You can find that stuff yourself. But it's really funny because Mike doesn't give a fuck. He's like, oh, I believe. He's like, I believe. Like, But he, what he's saying yeah. is like, I don't think you should be doing that. Yeah. So he was just, he was basically like, oh, that's fine with your statistics and shit. But he's yeah. like, my point is, I don't think you should be. <laughs> yeah. So he was like, so I don't I... give a fuck about your. <laughs> yeah. And his and his viewpoint through a lot of this that they would kept kind of putting in was the fact that he didn't agree with a lot of the stances and takes that evangelicals take, even though he is a person that identifies as Christian. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think that that presents a little bit more of a, of a, a softer like disagreement there. It's more compelling than straight up being like this atheist doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Because you're yeah. like, of course you guys disagree. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like at those points, you're like, well, yeah. So it is. No, he's like, no, I'm very much a Christian myself. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I do think you see that between a lot of the Christian sects is like, they all kind of hate on each other because it's very much like this group is not doing this correct or this. Like, I remember that when I was going to church and it was like, oh, those people do this. Ugh. You know what I mean? It's like I said, they all think they're doing it right. Yeah. They all think they're doing it better. Yeah. Their interpretation, their their um their version of the Bible, their this, their what that. Their traditions you're... are, yeah. yeah. 
So the majority of the time, uh, Becky and Mike dispute over how he says there's a movement of indoctrination and raising up children as soldiers for the Republican Party. So at first, Becky's like, she says she's teaching children. But after he says, whoa, 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 there's a difference between learning and indoctrination. Becky kind of ends up being like, fine, if you want to call it indoctrination, then yes, I think that parents should be indoctrinating their kids with the religion. There should be more of that. Like, she just is like, fine, fine. Then I think she said the quiet part. (laughs) Which is actually something I feel it could be a whole topic some other time because it's interesting. But Mm. I just wanted to touch on it real quick. But I feel like this is something we could call back this conversation between the two of them Mm. about this point. I feel like we could call back on this in the future. Um, Because that's something that we could go deeper on. But he was just, and then he was like, well, you say learning and I think it's indoctrination. And she's like, then fine. I believe it's, then I believe in it. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. There it is. (laughs) He also talks about, you know, again, separation of church and state and how he respects her belief as a fundamentalist, but it shouldn't bleed over into the public sector. And then Becky says some interesting shit. (laughs) She says democracy is the greatest political system on earth, but then very oddly follows it up by saying, quote, it's ultimately designed to destroy itself because we have to give everyone equal freedom. And ultimately that's going to destroy us. You know, (laughs) it's really the equal freedom. That's the problem. Yeah, for real. (laughs) And like, that's kind of the end of what we see. They actually argued for an hour and we saw maybe two, three minutes. Oh, yeah. It wasn't a lot. And that was another thing that Becky said. She says like when she kept saying no, that Rachel and Heidi were like, he doesn't he doesn't do long, long form. She's like, at most, you'll be 15 minutes. And they went an hour. Wow. So, <laughs> And she says that there was like a lot of I would be really curious to hear the whole thing. Yeah, because no she said because she says that it was like really like back and forth and that she ended up having to see him when she was kind of like promoting Mm. And he told her, I'm not coming for you, Becky. I'm coming for Ted Haggard. And she was just like, I don't care. Like, you know, like, <laughs> but. Oh, you're small potatoes, Becky. Yeah. But yeah, that was just. See, the see democracy, d- democracy and freedom are great. But the problem is it only works if I have more freedom than you. Yeah, that's the problem. It's Otherwise, it'll destroy us. So, yeah. So what I'm really saying is you're the problem. <laughs> So what's funny is what we see in the film is that's the last thing they talk about, mm-hmm. which may not have been the last thing they talk about. Cause like I said, it went for an hour, but when they show them like ending, it's on that where she says that about democracy and it has him like taking off his, <laughs> his, uh, headphones. And he's like, the more I hear the crazier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll close out on the politics section of this, um, this part. So Becky is watching footage from, Lou Angle's sermon. And by the way, in this footage that she's watching, we didn't see it earlier. Yeah. Yeah. But we get to see him putting the life tape over mm-hmm. a kid's mouth. And then he says, you look great with that tape on your mouth. That was creepy as fuck. What the actual fuck? <laughs> yeah, it was not good. He's putting it over a little girl's face. Ugh. You look great with that tape on your mouth. Awful. And he has such a creepy voice. Like, oh, yeah. He, ugh. Not good. Nope. Not. Ugh. It was all bad. But as Becky watches this, she like zooms in. Like you can see her kind of like, like really like, oh, like really yep. like paying mm-hmm. attention. And then she says, quote, <laughs> some extreme liberals, they have to look at this and start shaking in their boots. 
the intensity that you see in these kids, there's no doubt they've got to be watching this and going, oh my goodness, I didn't know this is possible. What are these kids going to be like when they grow up? <laughs> so I'm leaving out other details for sure that relate back to politics from the film. Yeah. I don't know, kids like literally like in camouflage and like chanting and then her like yelling, this is war, you know, yep. like, which she was like, I meant spiritual war, but no, it's like. No, 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 no. Yeah. Real but, quick. Yeah. I think, I think the statement that she made was dumb, but I also feel like that's just a way of her like, kind of like self aggrandizing. Like yeah. she was, she was feeling herself right in that, in that moment. Um, and I think that when you look at these things, it's the idea that, yep, every single person that doesn't agree with me is going to look at this and they're going to be terrified. <laughs> yeah. You don't understand that people that disagree with you probably aren't thinking about you very much. <laughs> like I sent Whitney this thing today of a, of a evangelical preacher who went on a tirade about how uh, vegetarian food products are changing our DNA so we're less human and then we can't be saved by god because we're not technically human it's fucking nuts and i'm like the fact that you've thought this and put this out as your opinion fine but nobody cares that much scientists aren't somewhere going we need to create a new food product so people can't be saved by god yeah, I know, like, right? like that's that's what they are that's the that's, that's the what, angle that's, yeah, that's the yeah. whole that's why impossible burger exactly. came to be i mean mm -hmm. that's what is it like veggie star like yeah. or whatever that's why they all exist because they're all trying to keep you from getting saved yeah it's morning star was that what it is i don't remember i don't know but yeah, so that, that it's that idea that like they don't I don't feel like those people think about you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're watching the documentary Jesus Camp. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So like I said, I'm I'm leaving out quite a few other things that you could call back to. I just wanted to hit some of the heavy hitters. But just even from what I've shared alone, it's interesting to me that Becky is so baffled as to why Heidi and Rachel saw all this footage. And then edit it how they did. Like with a political slant, as she said. I mean, she literally just got done saying that liberals must be shaking in their boots. Yep. And that democracy will destroy us because of, you know, equal freedom. <laughs> but it's a real fucking mystery why the filmmakers saw this and then went that direction. It's a big <laughs> mystery. I just, oh, like, what, what are you confused about, Becky? It's the drunk uncle thing where he gets up and he's like, finally... Somebody's saying the things that I've been thinking and, and also saying. saying. <laughs> like yep. That's how that feels. <laughs> yep. So. Real quick before we move on, this is just something that I thought about when I was watching it. And then now that we've been talking about it, it came back up. I, I think about verbiage, like the verbiage that is used to describe what she, the message that she is pushing. And I think if you look at it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of martyrdom type of um, verb like verbiage mm -hmm. where it makes it like everybody is going to be persecuting us for believing this and that makes us better. Um, and there's also slowly, it's slowly gotten more intense over the years. And I feel like it's a way because you need to try to get people in 
So she's using dramatic language like war and this is a yeah. war. And I keep thinking about it where like how many of these children that grew up in this quagmire of of like shit that's swirling around in the way that people talk about it are radicalized when they get older. And that's why, you know, Levi's going to go from saying that people that don't believe what he believe is make him feel yucky to getting to a point where later on that can be so much worse yeah. if you expand that into them. Now you're an adult. And I'm not saying that he's going to grow up and murder anybody, but if you look at it and that's the way that you're taught to think, when you get older and you have more resources and you have more dangerous opportunities, the chances there are going to be real rough. Things amplify. They, they escalate. Yep. It goes from yucky to potentially straight up hate speech. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that's the things that you have to think about. And it's like, and that's why it's so interesting for her to be like, well, we didn't really mean that. It was like, well, no, but that's what you said. But that's what, but you, that's said, what you said. But that's what you said. So... And taking it to something that's maybe less important, like the Harry Potter thing is where that thought process started for me, was that if she got up there and said, you you shouldn't be watching this because these are things that we don't believe in, nobody's going to listen to that. But if she gets up there and starts yelling and saying that warlocks, warlocks are, are an enemy of God, like she feels like she's just giving it 100% and she's getting these kids in. You know what I mean? To yeah. that mindset. So yep. that's something that went through my head a lot. So where I left off was, um, you know, why is this a big mystery to Becky? Why, why this is the direction they went. So Rachel Grady, one of the filmmakers, said in an interview, quote, initially, we did not know we were making a film that was intertwined with politics until we started filming. All the conversations with each other and our main character, Becky Fisher, focused on the particular theology of this group of born-again Christians. And until we were in the field, we hadn't known how intertwined the politics and their religious beliefs really were. Hmm. The movie took a different course after that. So, yeah, because then they this saw it. You. This, this is, is what yeah. you presented to us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, they saw how much it seemed political and it led them in that direction. And I don't think that's crazy to do. When yeah. you see a theme as a filmmaker, a mm -hmm. creator of some, fo you're going to follow that theme. And that's not wildly inappropriate. Yeah. So Becky ends the politics section of her book saying this. We are not in any way attempting to raise up the next generation of Republican Party members, nor is a Christianized version of jihad at the core of our vision. My honest feelings were I felt it was disingenuous to make me and my ministry look highly political in order to bring home the point the larger evangelical community has this bent, um, regardless of the bigger picture. So, yeah. So so I, I feel like that argument is the equivalent of being like, we're a company and this is what we make. All this other stuff we do is really problematic, but that's not the main thing we do. We make cereal. You know what I mean? Like, that's how that feels. We're like, all of those things encompass what your group is, whether you feel like you're trying to hide them from public eye or whether you feel like they're a major driving force. At the end of the day, if it's problematic, it's problematic. Or if that's a part of it, it's a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The very end scene of the documentary is quite funny to me. Levi and Rachel are out witnessing and... By the way, Levi is rocking his Rhesus, Rhesus Jesus 
mm-hmm. Regis's uh, yeah. shirt again. Regis Philbin. Yeah. His Regis Philbin <laughs> shirt. Yep. Who but, wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> but even more notable is he's got a Levi's cap on now, too. <laughs> Pretty good. I see what he did there. <laughs> yep. And our, Rachel, she has a, a good, really good early 2000s Tommy Hilfiger shirt on. So yep. very fashion forward, these two. Mm-hmm. So Rachel walks up to a group of men and asks them, if they died right now, where would they go? And one of them answers, heaven. And Rachel actually says, really? Are you sure? Fucking Damn. cracked me up. Damn. <laughs> Fucking cracked me Judgy. up. Judgy. I know. <laughs> and um, after some people turn down the tracks that they're trying to hand out, Rachel says to Levi, do you think some people think we're actually selling something? And Levi's like, yeah, probably some of them. And Rachel says, we're kids. What could we sell? And Levi says, flyers in our hand. <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing just It was just, just such a little kid. Yeah. Like, re- like yeah. Rachel was trying to, like, ask kind of a bigger question. And I don't know. It was just very funny. It was like two little kids talking about. And, like, when they turned down, when they said no thank you to her, she was like, for all we know, they could be Christians already. And I'm like, oh, she's trying oh, to. She's just... trying to. <laughs> she's trying to, like, soothe herself, like, yep. hype herself. And I was just mm-hmm. like, it's, it's okay, Rachel. <laughs> Okay, so now let's talk the film release, reception, and aftermath. So in the summer of 2006, before the documentary's official release, which would come in like September, Mm -hmm. uh, it was gaining good traction amongst the indie film festival circuit. It won the special documentary jury prize at the 2006 Tribeca Film Festival and the Silver Docks Sterling Award. So it was set to premiere at at Michael Moore's um, Traverse Film Festival mm-hmm. when the film's distribution company, Magnolia Films, tried to get it pulled from the festival. They had just recently acquired it from A&E Indie Films, mm-hmm. but at Magnolia didn't want anything to do with anything related to Michael Moore. To Michael Moore, yeah. So the president of Magnolia Films said, quote, the reality of the world we live in today is that if Michael Moore endorses it, Tens of millions will automatically reject it. Mm-hmm. But the fest, you know, the festival was kind of like, nope. <laughs> wow. And went ahead and screened it twice because it was already set in motion long before Magnolia bought mm. the distribution rights. So Magnolia said, quote, we know Moore's association with this film may turn potential viewers away and we are deeply disappointed in his choice to not comply with our request. One person who saw the film at that festival had this to say. (laughs) It makes me laugh. (laughs) The people in the film were so bizarre, yet they were so sincere. They were like Leslie Nielsen in Airplane. (laughs) I thought that was a reference. I thought that was a funny way to describe it because they are also just like. Yeah. (laughs) It was interesting. I thought that was hilarious. I just got off the phone with the hospital. The hospital, what is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. <laughs> oh, it's so our humor. <laughs> and also worth mentioning that Jesus Camp won the festival's scariest movie award. <laughs> <laughs> was it Scary Barry? She was the reason? <laughs> well, it's it's funny because that's a total funny, not funny. Initially hilarious. Then you go, oh, yeah, it is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like It is scary in its own way. Yeah. So it's fucking funny. And then you're like, ooh, but sadly, really, truly is scary at the same yeah. time. So mm-hmm. funny, not funny. 
So Magnolia was super worried that they'd lose the support of Christians from the film just merely screening at the festival of someone left-wing. But funny enough, it was someone super right-wing that did that for them. Okay. Ahead of the release, none other than Ted Haggard himself started denouncing it, saying things like, quote, You can expect to learn as much about the Catholic Church from Nacho Libre as you can learn about evangelicalism from Jesus Camp. This movie manipulates facts like a Michael Moore film, ironic, and works the camera like the Blair Witch Project. It's one more documentary that seems to miss the point intentionally. He the, also... Oh, good. The worst part about it is they showed how awkward and creepy that he is. That was the worst part about it. Yeah. <laughs> he also said... The group they chose is a subgroup of the charismatic movement portrayed as mainstream. Then by using the portion where I'm joking around and casually talking about the group evangelical, the growth of, an, of evangelicalism, they make us all look like we're dominionists, which we are not. Not only does the movie misrepresent evangelicalism, but it misrepresents the charismatic movement. It does represent a small portion of the charismatic movement, but I think the film demonizes it. So here's Magnolia, who had been all worried, you know, but it ended up being one of their own, so to speak, that gave them problems. (laughs) Ted talking shit about the film caused it to lose some initial support amongst Christian circles, for sure. Mm -hmm. He's the head of the National Evangelical Association, you know. So screenings and things were canceled and everything. Like like church kind of sponsored things that were going Mm -hmm. to like show it weren't anymore because of what he said. But like, he's, he was an odd man in every, in every little bit of this documentary that he was in. He's like a not as muscly Vince McMahon. Do you know who Vince McMahon is? Yeah. Like, he's just a l- not as muscly version, but like Vince McMahon is n- an odd person when you see him in a public setting or in interviews and stuff. And this dude's just creepy. Everything about his facial expression, like everything about him is creepy. He's like he's like the villain in like an 80s movie is how he, <laughs> he felt. He really has Like he would villain. be the one on the ski slope being like, you kids aren't allowed here. You he know what I mean? He fully has villain vibes. But funny, because about a month or so later, after the film premiered, Ted had to step down after, from his positions at the church and, and the association after a man came out saying that they'd had a three-year sexual relationship and Ted had bought meth from him. At first, Ted said he got a massage from him. Front or back. And he did buy drugs, but he didn't use them. <laughs> you know, it's so dumb. Homie might as well have said he was holding it for a friend. Like, <laughs> like... And then finally, he admitted to all of it. Honestly, I could do a whole dig on him. And and you might. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe incorporate his story into another dig on a broader topic. Like, I have a couple of ideas. But if you guys are interested about Ted Haggard, you know, I, oh. let me know because it's it's interesting. Man. I mean, that is the cliffiest of cliffiest, of cliffiest notes. Like, <laughs> that is as cliffy as they get. So, it's funny that he, again, I also bring that up because remember how I said he's the only man. the only one that brought him. <laughs> yeah, homosexuality. homosexuality yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. Um, what is it, the every... Every accusation is a secret admission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Becky actually has a whole section in her book titled, He's Gay. <laughs> okay. And claims that when she got to pre-screen his footage in the documentary, which is what we see a couple times, you see her kind of seeing different mm-hmm. parts. So when it got to his part, she said she thought to herself, he's gay. And I'm going to read her whole thing. No, I silently screamed on the inside. It can't be true. I don't believe it. It's just my mind playing tricks on me. I never said a word to anyone, but I know my eyes got bigger and my mouth dropped open just a bit. I kept staring at him and asking myself, what could have made me think this? But there was nothing I could see with my eyes. It was just an impression in my spirit. And Becky even talks about how she knows that, sure, her eyes got big and she had a reaction, but she didn't say anything. And she's like, I would love for the filmmakers to be able to find the exact moment of me watching that just to see what I look like. And, okay, Becky. <laughs> All right, Becky. Um, so, yeah, interesting stuff with Ted. That's just a small side sidestep. But to round out the Ted part, in regards to him slamming the film, Rachel Grady said this. We're very disappointed that someone with such clout has rejected the movie. I think he doesn't like how he comes across in the movie. (laughs) And I think so. No one wants to go to that TED Talk, I'll tell you that (laughs) No, definitely not. So overall, the film was controversial and remains so even today, clearly. Because whether conservative or liberal, Christian or non-Christian, it's getting criticism from all sides. Rachel Grady said, quote, we did expect different reactions, but how stark those differences are have has been fascinating. One camp watches it and wants to send their kids to the camp. On the other end, there are people who want to call the cops. (laughs) So Becky, of course, has gotten a lot of heat and has said, quote, it's not just wackos ripping me for child abuse. I'm taking hits from the Christian community. The one thing that people are really tripping over is is the emotion they see in those kids. It's unbelievable for someone who doesn't know Jesus. Which that has, that leaves me with a couple thoughts. The first is more direct and obvious in the way of, well, well, of course non-Christians don't get it kind of thing. Like, I think that's more obvious. Like when she says someone who doesn't know Jesus, she could obviously be referring to anybody not Christian. Okay. (laughs) whatever if it was a <laughs> if rachel little rachel was here she'd say whatever <laughs> but to me it could also be taken as a more veiled way of calling out those fellow christians that she's referring to who are calling her out mm-hmm. you know taking issue with what these kids are being subjected to and emotionally fucking wrecked by aka spiritual abuse lady yeah uh, spiritual abuse mm-hmm like by saying it's unbelievable for someone who doesn't know Jesus. I feel like that can be taken as a roundabout way of saying that the Christians who are taking issue with it aren't as Christian as they think they are. Piety. Or they don't know Jesus like they think they do. Yep. Otherwise they'd get it kind of thing. Yep. That's how it feels to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, Becky, you're just like, well, they're not real Christians. Yep. She's pious as fuck. But are you ready for the real zinger though? Oh, man. Becky's really hurling insults. Okay. She also called Christians who didn't like the film. Ready for this? She called them knuckleheads. (laughs) Burn! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, due to the backlash, 
Becky ended up having to close the camp. People vandalized the campgrounds, probably assuming that it was hers, but it wasn't. It's just called, it's called Lakewood Bible Camp, I believe. Mm -hmm. And she just rents that out each, each summer from the Assemblies of God. But after the vandalism, they asked her not to come back. But Becky says that she was fine with it. And it was actually kind of a sigh of relief because she doesn't, to, to not have to do camps anymore. Because she says she prefers conferences to camps anyway. Because you can sell books at the bookstore. <laughs> but because she was like, because here's the thing, though. And she continued to host conferences and still does. Mm. And I think a lot of people, when they heard that the camp shut down, a lot of people were like, yeah, great. It got shut down. It doesn't tough fucking change a goddamn thing. Yeah. The conferences, the conferences and the camp, it's just she didn't go back to a camp format, Mm -hmm. but her camps and her conferences are the same goddamn thing. Mm -hmm. The difference is that the camps is that the fan, is that she has, she was talking about, oh, it's just so great because she literally says that they're the same. Yeah. But with camps, she has to organize, you have to figure out more time into that. You're in charge of their meals. You have to, Mm -hmm. there's more, there's just a lot more logistics to do. Yep. But the rest of it's the fucking same. And she even says, with conferences, you're just putting more back on the family. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they travel, but you don't have to worry about any kind of accommodations. They yep. have to go get their own hotels. They have to do this. They have to yep. take care of their own food. So, people who are like, yeah, the, the, the camp has gone. Nothing changed. They didn't do anything. Nothing yet. fucking changed. And I think another thing that people don't understand is that what you're watching in Jesus Camp is like 50-50 the prayer conference and yeah. the camp. Mm-hmm. it's all the same shit like, yeah you know? and so yeah she just didn't go back to that place in an ex- camp format mm-hmm. with sleep away right 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 so now let's close out this whole thing with a little check-in with the kids starting with our little our little homie andrew summer camp oh that poor little kid that felt like a fake for being the most honest person in that whole fucking room. Well, Andrew has left evangelical Christianity altogether. Okay. This was prompted originally by his father coming out as gay. And he says that at first he was really angry with the church. But with time, he's found peace in Eastern mysticism, quantum mechanics, and psychotropic drugs. Okay. And as of 2016, he was living with a group of what he called spiritual seekers in Mount Shasta, California. Okay. I kind of put some things together and I think I can kind of figure out what group he might be talking about being part of. But I'm not going to say, because I don't know, I'm not going to, Yeah. I'm not going to say. But so he swerved to the way to the other he side He did, of the yes. Mm-hmm. And then he said, was it child abuse? Yes and no. I think they had the best of intentions. But I see it as sick people trying to treat sick people. It's their coping mechanism for figuring out why they're why we're alive. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything, though, because it allowed me at such a young age to question my existence. But he also, he didn't fucking mince words about Becky. <laughs> he called her a terrible fucking person who was fueled by the spiritual suffering of other people. Damn. That's an actual burn. Yep. <laughs> that's no knuckleheads. Yeah, you can throw knucklehead <laughs> at me all day, Becky. Try this on. Yep. A terrible fucking person fueled by the spiritual suffering yeah, of other here, people. Hold that. <laughs> yep. So I wanted to give an update on him because he was very compelling. The short little bit that he was in. 
I haven't cried in a lot of episodes, and like yeah. that that whole part got me. Yeah, Oof, it's getting me right I know, now. I know. Fuck. Um. So yeah, he was very compelling, and he was interviewed in 2016. Wow. I couldn't really see anything. I haven't. I, he looks to be fairly off the grid, which I mean <laughs> makes sense. So even though he wasn't a main subject, he captured so many people. And so I think that's why he got found to like mm-hmm. be interviewed in 2016. Yeah. So now we're going to shift to the three main kids. So Bec- Becky actually had each of them write something short that she included in her 2011 book. Okay. So with each of them, I'll start with that and then we'll go from there. Okay. So Tori was 16 at the time of Becky's book. And she starts off talking about how it was fun being noticed after being in the film. Until an experience one day at the library saying, quote, then one day I walked into the library and a clerk asked me if I was in a documentary and if my name was Tori. I replied yes. And he just gave me this awful stare and said, well, it was very interesting. He told me to be careful and said goodbye. I walked out of the library feeling almost gloomy. For the first time, I realized not everyone liked the movie. This was a time in my life where I really wanted everyone to like me, and I was willing to change myself to make more people like me. Just that one time in the library was enough for me to think I had made a mistake by participating in the film. Which it does make me sad to think of, like, how much this could have affected them and followed them. I mean, as we're talking about them here now, like, you know, like how this shit, like, follows them when they were just kids, you know? Yeah. So Tori goes on to say... She then grew more distant from God because of this. But months later, she came across a kid while on vacation with her family who told her his life was changed from watching the movie. And then she realized, quote, the profound experience I had in the church in Virginia was enough to show me if Jesus camp had radically changed only one person's life for him. It was all worth it. Okay. So all of the things in the book from the kids and Becky's book are always kind of tied up with like a raw, raw. Yeah, yeah, at the yeah. end. But as far as after that goes, Tori has definitely laid kind of low. Okay. Not doing interviews and things like some of the others. Sounds like she kept up with dance and I think she may have even taught at a dance academy for a while. For God. I hope so. She went to college, you know, just kind of seemingly normal path. But uh, a few people in various places online have said that she's not super evangelical anymore. Like, she's still religious, but they're like, she's not, like, inserting the, into every opportunity, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and those are just random internet condiments. Comments, like, who knows for sure, but... Internet condiments. <laughs> they just got to put some ketchup and mustard on there, you know? Yeah. She can relish in those thoughts. Merp. So that's kind of all we really know about Tori worth bringing up. Okay. So now it's Levi's turn. He was 19 at the time of Becky's book. I want to know if he still has the rat tail. And he does not. Damn. He recounts how his church started using Becky's ministry curriculum when he was 10 and how impactful it was and led them to going to the conference, the prayer conference that we mm. saw when he was 12. He said, quote, the first day of the conference while I was sitting there, I wondered what God was going to do with me. Somehow I knew though no anyone said anything to me, that whatever I did there was going to affect me for the rest of my life. While Becky's camp has received criticism in this area, it's imperative for me to note no one ever forced me to do anything. So take that in for a second. He's saying she never forced anything. 
But then he follows that statement up with this. In fact, I remember Becky specifically saying things such as, if you don't want to do this, if you're not going to be serious, don't even come up because this is serious stuff. Which that doesn't make it better. <laughs> those those aren't the same thing. But the, um, if you're not going to be serious, that is still laced with pressure and shame. Like, you know, like the entire conference in camp is based on a platform of guilt, shame and pressure. Mm-hmm. So you think kids are just going to be like, yeah, I'm not serious, so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not that serious. Yeah, fucking right. Yeah. They feel like they're supposed to do whatever is happening at the time, whatever it fucking is, whatever, whether it's putting your hands on a cardboard bush, whether it's like, oh, do you know what another thing that she's like, she talks about, it's it's funny the stuff that Becky talks about, she wish made it to the movie. And I'm like, you should be glad that didn't make it to the movie. (laughs) At that prayer conference. There was a part where it's like she said somebody came up to her and was like, Becky, I'm feeling the need right now. It's when they're talking about abortion at the prayer conference. That someone's idea was to put a ba- uh, one of the kids laying in the center of a circle to represent a fetus in the womb and all of the kids surround them. And I'm like, be glad that's not in the film. Yeah. And she's sitting there in her book saying like, I wish I had made that. And I'm like, you're fucking nuts. You should be fucking thank- thanking Heidi and Rachel yeah. that that's not in there. So it's like, it's a reminder of we only saw a fucking snapshot portion. And if you thought that this was disturbing and weird, it's 10 times worse. So much worse, yeah. And it's, it's, once again, going back to like to the echo chamber idea, in her head, she's looking at it from a way of like, oh yeah, we're all going to be into it and it's absolutely correct. You have no perspective of how that looks. And when you have documentarians following you around... They're going to see it from an outside perspective. Yeah. So um, just bring it back to what I was saying. So she was. So she's saying that like, okay, if you're not going to be serious, but kids, like I was saying, aren't going to not get in that circle around that kid. They're Mm going to not. They're not going to be the only one not touching the cardboard bush. They're not going to be the only one not speaking in tongue. Like that's not, that's not going to happen. They're going to see everyone around them doing it. And either they have to be okay with, not being the only one to not do it be fearful of being judged for not doing it or again they just feel like they're supposed to whether or not they're against it or not they're like oh i don't really feel it but i'm supposed to feel it so let me go do this Mm -hmm. or even when they are really are willing to just sit it out like that ama comment i read last week Mm -hmm. they got forced into it by the adults for sitting it out yeah so i definitely don't agree that these kids really have this like totally free will in this environment at all when in when an environment has that much pressure and uses the type of verbiage that we have heard throughout the film yep. i find that to be coercion oh yeah 100 percent. whether that whether it's the factor of fear of someone's well-being or social pressures or yep. you're taking a, a group of people that are aged where there's a lot of susceptibility to it to pressure and to guilt and shame and all the things you're talking about and putting them in those environment and pushing them through to the end that you want. Mm-hmm. So that's why Levi being like, oh, she even said, if you're not going to be serious, I'm like, oh, Levi, no, 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 this that's isn't not, better. No, this, this isn't what you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I, it's not, it's sad, right? Like it's yeah. not a lot of the things that we've explored in this or have not made me feel, they make me feel yucky. <laughs> there you okay? go. Yeah. First of all. Yep. 
there's a thing in comedy where like a, a setup is a really good way to set up things in a comedy scene is like set up a premise and then immediately go against that premise and that creates comedy in something that's not set up that way something that's serious that's what causes a lot of unease like this is how i feel about this statement where it's like oh no she never pressured us and then the thing you say immediately shows that she was pressuring you <laughs> if you're not going to be serious don't do it yeah <laughs> oh okay all right all right i won't yeah like exactly. that's what the kids are thinking yeah so levi attended the world revival school of ministry and got his bachelor's and then he later worked for them but not actually as a pastor he worked in organizing seminars and conferences for them. So he never actually did pastor work. Getting the AV people on, <laughs> so, yelling at tornadoes. Yeah, I mean, rebuking those tornadoes. <laughs> and it sounds like he's left that work and he works more of a, I just say this in air quotes, like more of a regular job now uh, that's not attached to church or ministry in any kind of way. Okay. And he's married with two kids and another on the way. Still All very, right. still very religious. And over the years, Levi has been one of the more kind of out there and willing to talk of the kids. Interesting. He was featured in Morgan Spurlock's 50 documentary, Sissy Before You Die. Okay. In like a short interview. Um, and just he's appeared in various YouTube channels and podcasts. But I'm actually going to reference one that is more recent. Okay. November 2023 recent. So just a few months ago when he appeared on... Untracing Trauma. I have no idea what that is. It's just a, it's a YouTube channel. Oh, okay. Untracing Trauma. And um, so overall, Levi seems like a kind person. And even as he said things I still disagree with, <laughs> he does seem the type you could actually have a conversation with. Okay. He comes off more open and he said a few things worth noting. Quote, one of the things that Christianity, I think, gets wrong is being so quick to be anti-things rather than pro-Jesus. Mm. And I agree with that statement. Interesting. Because some of the loudest Christians are the most unchristlike people. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, I thought he was your boy. You, sh you weren't repping your boy very well. Yeah. So I agree with that statement. Now, the thing, though, is some people can say that and then they're still just as unchristlike themselves. Of course. So a statement is a statement, but... He does seem a bit more genuine mm. in, in some of the, the types of things that he said. And I also think it was interesting to hear him say how for a time he thought that being a pastor or a missionary was the only way to be a Christian. And that now he mm. knows that it's actually about things like the way he fathers his children and treats other people. And I don't wow. know why this made me emotional, but it did. Wow. Because I'm like, yeah, that really is like. Yeah. It's it's about, like, what you are in this world and not just being what you think you're supposed to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So I found it particularly interesting to hear because he says in a, a lot in all the various interviews over the years from the Morgan Spurlock, which was probably about five or so years after the documentary, mm -hmm. to just various things over the years, he always... Um, has this kind of talking point of how he never felt pressured into things. We heard it in Becky's book, mm -hmm. kind of, you know, and, you know, these were all his own choices. But I think his statement of thinking that those two options were the only way were to be a Christian, I think that statement itself speaks to the type of pressure that exists 
in these mm-hmm. systems and these spaces and the environment that he was in. Yeah. Because if he was, if he was, <laughs> pardon the term, if he was hell bent on being a Christian and that was what he felt was his only way to do it, of course that was what he went to. Not doing it wasn't an option at all. Yeah. And I do still see some disconnect in the things he says. Like, for example, like in this interview I'm referencing, like he would say stuff like, oh, I think all Christians can get on board with such and such. Mm. And like the interviewer would be like, well, no, <laughs> not exactly, especially not in the experience that I've had or what I've heard, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So it kind of seems like he is, there is a little bit of a disconnect and he's a little bit in like a bubble of like, because like I said, he does seem more kind and open. Mm. It's like thinking that all of, all of them are that way. And it's kind of like, well, not, not exactly. exactly like, yeah. you know? yeah. So, it, and then, so then he kind of settles on, well, like I want to be the type, I want to be a representation of like a different type of Christian. It's like, then good. Then do that. Do that. That's great. That's, that. that's great. Yeah. yeah. But at, at times I feel like I'm like, there's a little bit of a disconnect there, but he yeah. does seem open and kind. Mm-hmm. So now it's sweet, earnest little Rachel's turn. She was 15 at the time of Becky's book and updates everyone on how she was now attending public high school, which she really enjoyed. I feel like I have so many, I have so many like hopes in my head of what I want her later on to be, Mm -hmm. which is not like, it's not going to be the case, but like I have all my hopes and dreams of what it really is. So, all right. So she's in public high school. So she talks of how when Jesus Camp was released, she didn't understand the controversy surrounding it. And quote, so when I watched the movie again when I was 13, I was shocked to finally understand what all the fuss had been about. I could see how we looked a little scary sometimes to people who didn't know know what was going on. But Camp wasn't really as serious or intense as was shown in the movie. The atmosphere was always welcoming and fun. God's presence was often very strong and kids felt Jesus' incredible love. And many times it moved us to tears. Good tears. Okay, frankly, I do not think all the tears we saw were good tears, <laughs> uh, first of all. And, and like all these kids say some form of version of that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no, it was great. You know, yeah. maybe for them, yeah. but certainly not for all the kids at the time. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even if for some kids it was okay at the time. There's also plenty who look back on it differently as they got older, for sure. Yeah. And this next part, she said, I find a, a bit concerning. Quote, I always have to laugh when people who have seen Jesus Camp meet me, Levi, or Tori. They often comment on how normal we are. When I go to school and look around, most of the normal kids, which is in quotations, I, most of the normal kids I know are insecure nervous and they seem very lost many of them are on antidepressants recently it came out that scores of teens at my school were cutting i'm very thankful in many ways i'm not normal i was shown the way to jesus and i have a tangible relationship with him i do not love this idea that most normal kids are just all so lost in cutting themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe, just me wondering, I think maybe what she sees as being lost 
is really just being a fucking teenager trying to grow up and figure out who you are, you know? Yeah. Which is just a part of life and growing up. But I feel like in the type of environment and teachings that she grew up in, being lost isn't allowed. Mm-hmm. Having questions. Yeah. Being confused. Yeah. You don't need to search and ponder fucking anything because we have all the answers right here. Mm-hmm. You don't need to wonder who you are because we can tell you what God expects of you and what you're supposed to do with your life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you can't be lost when you're taught that the church has all the answers for you. Right. So I feel like that's what she's saying. Yeah. And I think that's making her, it's, and again, think about this message. It's taking things and putting people into categories. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, these other kids that aren't like her, they're all lost. It's also like puffing herself up too, just like we've seen through this whole thing as well. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I hate the idea of normal because normal is different to every single person. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I, I rail a lot against like, there's not anything that's normal like normal is unique to the person Mm -hmm. so it's like that part i agree but then it's like you're not you're not exceptionally different like you said these are just people that are trying to make it through their lives they're like they're they're 15 they're just trying to fucking why are all these teenagers so like emotional like angsty god get together So then in 2014, Rachel posted a video online about where she was in her faith. It's very um, artsy. It's filmed in black and white and, you know. Okay. And she talks about how she'd grown dissatisfied with life and her walk with God and that she was just kind of going through the motions. Quote, I wasn't being super awesome Christian person and doing all the great things. I showed up and that was pretty much it. Okay. So then she went on a mission trip and had a great time. She acknowledges how it's easy to feel close to God in those moments because everyone is in on it and everyone's feeling the spirit. You're Mm. hopped up on it, right? But then she got back to real life and she wasn't feeling that anymore. And she began to feel ready to walk away. She either wanted it to be all awesome all the time or not nothing at all. And she told her pastor about these feelings and he told her, of course, to hang on. So then she goes to a church event where she says she heard God's voice for the first time in five years. And it made her realize that it wasn't about the things, but about having a relationship with God as your friend. And in my head, as I was watching, I kept thinking how it's like chasing a honeymoon period. Where you're always chasing the high you felt before and trying to get back to when it's easy, when it felt easy and you felt most connected, right? Mm-hmm. And then towards the end of the video, she says exactly that. Oh, damn. She actually says that, like, it's a honeymoon period with God. And so I'm like, okay. So, like, she's kind of, like, mm. on this, like, same wavelength. And I wish I could say I walked away from the video feeling better for her. Like, for this realization of, like, there doesn't need to be a honeymoon period and it Mm -hmm. just is about personal relationship and it doesn't have to be like all the time. But I can't say that I totally felt good about it still. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just still worry, worried for her after watching that in a way it didn't feel completely like, like, you know, yeah. because I just think it can be so hard to fight those feelings when they've been so deeply ingrained. 
Mm-hmm. Like the camp itself, for for fucking God's sake, is called Kids on Fire. It it's designed to get you fucking hyped up. Mm-hmm. And conferences and mission trips and church events are always meant to hype you up and make you feel more connected, right? Mm-hmm. Which is fine, but but as she said, it's not going to be like that every single day of your life. Yeah. And I think that just sets people up to feel immense guilt when they don't feel that that on fire mm-hmm. every single day. Yeah. Or like she said, super awesome Christian. <laughs> like, yeah. So I don't know. I just hope she was able to ultimately overcome that like for real. Mm-hmm. But I just imagine that's really hard to shake that entirely. Yeah. Because your system is set up to not be able to cope with that. And I, I I think that's kind of what I think about is because you see these children going through this camp and then, like you said, now they have to go back home. And I don't think it was like, hey, we all know that this is a really connected time at this camp and we went through all this stuff together and we've had a lot of good talks and we've expanded those things. But when you get back, this is not going to be the new they're not setting them up no. with tools to cope with the fact that it's not always going to be like this yep and i think that's that's where that exists and i will say is regardless of how message and how i agree or don't agree i remember going to one camp when i was in youth group um and that was actually part of what we talked about and there was a whole chunk that was like Yes, you're you're in this environment and you're doing this thing. We I think we were in like Prescott. Um and it's like, but when you go back, like what do how do you apply the things that you learned about yourself here when you're back home? And I always I looking back at that, I appreciate that. Yeah. Because that's regardless good. of whether I agree with that message still or not, like it was still a good thing to be like this ain't gonna be forever, but this is what you can do with these things that we talked about, you know. Yep, and that is good. And I opted not to talk about my camp experience this episode because it's, it's already so long. So I'm like, we'll save this for another time. But yeah, I don't feel like it, I ever heard anything that was like, hey, guys, <laughs> like you said, <laughs> yeah. you won't feel this way every day. And it doesn't even mean. And then, again, it can go back to whoever is doing whatever, whether it's camp, mission trip, just a mm-hmm. church event, whether it could just be a regular fucking service. I don't feel like the messaging is it's okay to not feel like this all the time. I think it is like, just be connected to God at all time. You know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's okay that not every moment of every day has you on fire. You know, it's is okay. It? <laughs> and it was interesting for her to actually say the honeymoon, because that's exactly what was going through my brain. Mm-hmm. So then when she said it, I'm like, that's exactly what it is yeah. when it's easy and natural and, mm-hmm. You're so connected and you're chasing that high yep. for the rest of your That's life. That's a perfect way of putting it. Yep. And people, I feel like it's human. Like people struggle, obviously, with honeymoon periods and a lot of things in their life. Yeah. Like romantic relationships, other relationships. So there's this human aspect of it. But then it's it also just adds to the pot when it's coming from a religious aspect that has your salvation and the guilt and the shame and the pressure all just added in on top of the human the human aspect experience yeah Yeah, so it's like that's a lot yeah and i could imagine that's just hard for anybody to just be like you know nope you're right i don't have to feel this way all the time and just be fine yeah well shout out to pete holmes we know you're listening i love you 
Um, He's not listening. One of Pete Holmes's things was, I think I've talked about it on here once. One of the biggest things about going through therapy and kind of figuring out what he wanted in life and stuff was the fact that understanding that life comes in waves and none of those waves, all of those waves are finite. So when you're having a really good moment, at some point, that really good moment is going to end. It's going to, yeah, it's going to end. Same thing on the low end. When you're having a really rough time and you're filled with a lot of negative feelings, that's not going to last forever. That's going to end as well. And he was like, so my, my life goal became no longer chasing those high moments and trying to avoid those low moments. It became an underlying buzz of contentment. Mm-hmm. And you just look at the average through. And if I'm happy with what that average is, I can weather both the good and the bad. And yeah. that, that kind of I kind of took that on as a mantra for a lot, knowing that the, <laughs> Mildred says dogs. Am I right? I know, Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, I kind of took that on. I feel like that's a good way of thinking about it. Of like, it's you're, you're never gonna ha- be amazingly happy all the time, even though that's how it, sometimes people's lives look on social media. Yeah, and you're, it's also never gonna be super shitty all the time, even though sometimes it feels like that. All of those moments end. Yep. Absolutely. And so Rachel, she's a little more low profile now. She's married and works as a teacher. And just because I commented on what some people said uh, in the condiments about Tori. <laughs> the internet condiments. Uh, the, the internet condiments uh, <laughs> about uh, Rachel. Like there was one person, they're like, I worked with her at Old Navy and she was so sweet. Never once tried to push religion. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. so there you go that's... Um, and yeah I think that's where I'm going to sign off on the subject of Jesus camp Wow. there are still things I cut there are still discussions <laughs> that could be like I said I didn't even talk about my own camp experience I didn't some things I'm like well I'm just going to take that to another topic some other time we'll call back to Jesus camp you know but so, so we're going to take a little break and we'll be back for segment four <laughs> We've done hours and hours and hours of Jesus Camp. <laughs> but it was a, it's, I mean, there's a lot to cover in Man, this. Yeah. So Yeah, it's a lot it's to a, chew on. It's a whole thing. But yeah, that is the saga right. of Becky Fisher, Kimmy. Uh, <laughs> Kimmy Gibbler. Kimmy and Kids on Fire. Man, so. wild one. Worth yep. the watch, though. Definitely worth the watch. You can rent it on Amazon. As of now, things change constantly, but yeah. you know. But yeah, definitely worth it. The only callback I have is actually a funny Scrubs reference, and it was the setting up, setting up of a of a premise, and then completely going against that premise right away. And it's a way that the the show writer, um, Bill Lawrence, who I met by the way, who I fed by the way, <laughs> I have a little mini story about that too. But the whole thing is setting up a premise and then immediately going against it. So um, the chief, the medical chief doctor comes back from vacation and he's all uh suntanned and splotchy and everybody notices it and they're like oh my god did you see dr kels was back and you see how splotchy he was and then he's he's walking towards them in a group and they you hear the internal dialogue of elliot going don't say splotchy don't say splotchy don't say splotchy (laughs) and he goes good morning and she goes good morning dr splotchy (laughs) So that's Levi saying. <laughs> she, she didn't pressure us at, at all. all. 
If you're not going to be serious, don't even come up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. The Bill Lawrence thing. So um, the woman, I always forget her name. She was in the Drew Carey show, um, and she played Dr. Cox's wife on Scrubs. Uh, they're married. So she's married to the showrunner Bill Lawrence, and who also does Ted Lasso. And So when they were doing Scrubs... Um, Anyway, they started having kids, and the hotel I used to work at was very close to Arizona State University. So they were putting their son in Arizona State University. And moving it, him in. Yeah, it was like move-in week. And we got – we whenever we had, like, higher-profile people staying in our hotel, we would get a sheet from the marketing team that said, hey, this person's going to be here. This is how many people in their group, and it'll be like – Potentially, they could come up and eat in one of the two restaurants or whatever it was. So I saw a thing, and it said William Lawrence, and I'm like, William. I mean, that that can be a uh, a common name, you know, whatever. And then I follow him on Instagram, and then he was posting about how they were driving their son to ASU to move him in, and I was like, oh my god, Bill Lawrence is staying (laughs) at our hotel. So I I brought that up to a couple of the cooks who are also Scrubs fans, and we all got excited. And then we have we had an open kitchen. So we are the day that they're going to be there, I walk to the front desk and I look and they're eating in a restaurant. And they were all the way of course they sat them all the way at the farthest table, so I can't gawk. Um so I knew what table they were at. So when it was coming up, I told the server who they were. They were young, they had no idea, they'd never watched scrubs. Um but I was like, how did they like it? How's everything going? Like, I kept asking. <laughs> and then at one point, he um, walked over because he was going to go to the restroom, which was past the kitchen. And he popped his head in. And he was like, hey, we ordered this flatbread, but this other one looked really good. Which one do you suggest? And I was like, oh, this, like, the one that you wanted to switch to. And he was like, okay, cool. Can you... You guys think that's worth it? And I'm like, I'll make it happen, right? I thought I was like swinging my, <laughs> swinging my dick. Around. You're like, I can, I can take care of that. I'll take care of that. For <laughs> um, so when he was on his way back after he was done, I was like, Mr. Lawrence, I just wanted to say I'm a really big fan and welcome to Arizona. And he was like, Oh, thank you. And then he kept walking. So that was it. That was our entire interaction, right? <laughs> and I was like fangirling from the kitchen every time they took food to the table. Kept asking the server how did it go. And then the running joke I made at the end was I was like, I think that, you know, the biggest thing about tonight's service was did Bill like say anything about me or <laughs> So I fangirled when I met Bill Lawrence. There you go. Yeah. Anywho, are we digging on anything other than Bill Lawrence and Ted Lasso? Well, apparently Bill Lawrence is your digging on this week. He was. He's not. So what's your dig? What are you digging on? All right. This has been a weird thing throughout the week, and oh, there's Mildred again. I, I am digging on people that are into something and then as they get older they're able to like do fun stuff with that interest and there's three examples i'll give you that are very short growing up in an environment where i grew up around video games and then as i got older they're like back in the early like late 80s there wasn't really a platform to take like a love of video games and like 
do stuff with it. Like cons weren't what they are now. It wasn't popular media. There wasn't superhero movies that were like huge. Like kind of like nerddom in general didn't have an outlet for fun creators to do stuff. It was always just if you knew somebody personally, you knew the girl that knit socks that had Marvel characters on them. You know what I mean? Like it was very small. Um, so I'm digging on people that get older and have an outlet for their creativity. And the examples I'll give you is there's a group online that's called 8-Bit Big Band. And they do amazingly beautiful, lush, like big band swing and jazz covers of video game music. And it's incredible. There's a game that had a little intro on the title screen that was literally four bars long. And they took that and made a song about how great that game was. And it's just, there's just so much love put into something in an environment where I don't feel like that used to happen because we didn't have those platforms. So 8-Bit Big Band. Um, there's a guy that started out by making like, um, like house remixes of video game music and he'd go to like random video game cons and like put it on and people were like, wow, this is actually really good. And then he blew up and now he has like a production company and his mom helped him with a lot of it. Um, and his name, his stage name is DJ Cupman, which is a reference to an old Mega Man game. But it's like this guy turned this into like a production studio that makes tons of money and tons of amazing content. And then the last one is just even to like smaller things. There is a cosplayer named um, Space Cowgirl Yaya. And she blew up because she had made a version of like the Sailor Moon outfits. But in like traditional like charro Mexican style. And part of her thing of it was she was like, I looked at a lot of like cosplay and things and there wasn't really anybody that looked like my upbringing. Mm -hmm. So she was like, so she made it happen. <laughs> she legit like it is so she did two different versions. Shout out Sailor Moon. Winnie, you know, oh, I love fucking love lost. Sailor yeah. Moon growing up. Yeah. <laughs> Tuxedo mask. <laughs> we were talking about the cats, too. Well, me and like my sister used to artist. watch it like secretly because for some reason we didn't want people to know. I don't know why, but we used to like pretend See? the part where she would, you know, her outfit, like mm -hmm. with the whole like transformation. I used to yep. pretend like I was her and put my hands up and like twirl. <laughs> Ugh, love uh, it. One of my favorites is a picture of um, her where she's doing like the the index finger and the pinkies out with both hands. Oh well, like yeah, this. and then it's her <laughs> and then like dudes behind her flashing gang signs and she's in front <laughs> like that. Like, you know. Uh. Anyway. So, number one, Space Cowgirl Yaya, DJ Cutman, 8-Bit Big Band. We know you're all listening. I love you immensely. All of them. And I love the fact that you guys can take a fandom of something that you really, really love and do something cool with it. Now that you're an adult and have a little more money. And yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. You can so, do something. Yeah. So, there's mine. Okay. Um, I didn't actually really prepare one. <laughs> so mine is it goes into our now, but I really am digging on it. Mine is cheese. I am digging on that we actually finally get a trip, take a trip for the first time in like three years. Yep. The last time we traveled was not for a great reason; it was for a funeral. Yep. This is our first trip in three years. Mm -hmm. Um, four years in the making though, because we were supposed to go to Disneyland. I've said this before, but we were supposed to go in March 2020. <laughs> right when the world shut down so yep. that got canceled we haven't been since disney is entirely different since the last time we went mm -hmm. so we're having to rework Relearn. and re 
Really? Because we like, used to have it down. Oh, we had it fucking down, and it do- but it doesn't operate how we did it before. So Correct. it's like, this is going to be totally different. So I'm digging on the fact that we could go on. And you, I don't want to say, I feel like it's kind of vacation. I say trip. To me, vacation is kind of like when you get some time to relax. This isn't relaxing. Trips to Disney are not relaxing. You're there to have fun. <laughs> so we're going on a trip. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And it, I'm actually kind of cracking up because we're in that pre-packing stage where you just start, like, putting shit. Putting piles of like, stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. So, like, our front living room just has, like, the shirts we're going to wear and, like, you know, just, like, <laughs> yeah, random yeah. shit that we're just kind of, like, moving it out there. But it is funny. I'm like, man... We're so different than when we used to Disney before. Mm-hmm. Like we're so much older now. Where so number one, I used to we used to do like outfits, like, like we Disney were, bounding. Yeah. Not, so yeah. So he was. Um, I think Peter. Pan we we were El, we were Peter Pan and Wendy, Woody but it was, was good. Um, we were Ellie and Car- Ellie and Carl's my favorite. Yeah, that's Ellie true. and Carl's yeah. my absolute favorite. Like as little kids. Yeah. yeah. So it's like I had like little. I had a big pink bow in my hair, and mm-hmm. then like I would yeah. And, I had the little overalls mm-hmm. and like a yellow shirt with like flowers. So, yep. like we used to always do that. We were Mickey and Minnie, but like two different times we were Mickey mm-hmm. and Minnie. It's just like wearing. I wore like a polka dot skirt and like a black top, and we both mm-hmm. wore yellow shoes, and he wore red red dickies and a black shirt. <laughs> like you know. Yep, so, yep. but like even now, so we're not doing that. This is world, or we're past that now. I think. But more so because it's like now we're like, God, we got I remember when I didn't care about comfort and I was like, no, I have to look a certain way. Now I'm like, nope, I got to be fucking comfortable. Are you going to tell me about the shoes you bought? <sighs> I should, I guess. <laughs> now you brought it up. So I'm pretty sure I have a heel spur. I'm having yeah. heel problems. And I think it actually comes from I've suffered my entire life with like rock hard, really calf muscles. Calf muscles. Like I just really struggle with my calves and I think it's now working its way into my my fascia like you know so i'm having i think i'm getting plantar fasciitis which is bringing like a form of like heel spur i think i got a whole fucking thing working yeah so my heels hurt when i just barely stand or like well, oh i'm my left one so i bought this like fucking strap thing <laughs> that i've been wearing for like a month i yeah. bought like little shoe insert thingies and then i was trying to do research and all fucking shoes that are meant for like these types they're all fucking hideous right <laughs> So I'm like, I just don't know if I can do it. And they're like, they're so expensive and they're so ugly. So I ended up finding a pair of Vans that I was like, all that I can deal with. That's not like orthopedic, but they're meant to be more. And I'm just cracking up because like the comment, like the reviews of them are. This is how I, they're like, love these shoes. It's how I can be 45 and not give up on Vans. <laughs> they're and everybody's like, I know they're old man Vans, but I, it's the way I can still wear Vans. And so I bought the old man Vans and that's what I'm wearing. Yeah. But like in our pre-packing, like, I, I, it's so ridiculous the things I've had. I'm like, I never had to worry about this before. Mm-hmm. I told him like, I'm packing the, the massage gun. The the, gun, yeah. That I got Tim for his birthday. I'm I'm taking my foam roller to roll out my calves. Yeah. I'm like doing stretching. We take the chirp. The chirp will be <laughs> yeah, good. We take our chirp wheel. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I've I've been I'm on a stretching regimen right now to try to help my calves and like <laughs> preparation because I just have serious calf issues. Yeah. But I'm like we never had to worry about this before. Yeah. I'm like packing electrolyte mix because <laughs> I'm like I need potassium. <laughs> like, like what is? Uh, it's just a different world yeah. than we're used to. Can I tell two cool things? Yeah. I don't know if I've talked about this on here, but I got knowing knowing that we were planning on going, 
because we I kind of got this trip um, going a while ago. It was my birthday gift. Yeah, and I was like, man, I need to, I want to get like supplemental parts for it. So one of the supplemental parts was the shirt that I got Whitney, and it's in Big Thunder. When you go over the you go over the big up the big hill when you're going down, and the last like fast part of the ride happens. You you make a sharp like hairpin turn to the right, and there's all the like you're coming out of a mine shaft. So there's all this like equipment and material and stuff at the sides. Well, in the center of the hairpin turn, there is a goat that is chewing on a piece <laughs> of dynamite. Yep, and it does that as you go by. So the whole thing about it is that if you stare at that goat as you whip around that corner, it makes you feel like you're going so much faster than if you're staring forward. So I got Whitney a shirt that is supposed to look like an old like drawing, kind of like Dances with Wolves like era, like kind of hand drawing. But it's a picture of that goat. It says Big Thunder on the bottom, has a picture of that goat, and it just says, I'm just here for the goat. Yep. Yep. So on that note, we're taking next week off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is there won't be an episode next week because yeah, we'll be gone. So um Yeah. I guess that's what I'm digging on. I'm digging on the fact that we get to go do some shit for once. Yay, let's do something. And you know what you can do is join us on Instagram at Digging Up the Duggers Pod. Episode visuals, some extra content, obviously Mildred related content, which is what the people are really coming for. I mean Yeah. That's she's our she is our producer. Feel free to buy us a pickle or a coffee at buymecoffee.com slash digging up the dug. And, of course, if you'd like to send us any traditional mail, we do have a P.O. Box 5973, Glendale, Arizona, 85312. So we will we will be hitting the Disneys. And we'll see you in two weeks. Or you'll hear us in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>